This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Really, Welcome once more to the Really Double Seven podcast, where we will be discussing the best stunts of the James Bond franchise. Now, you can listen on iTunes and Spotify, and we have our own website with our Pod Dojo network. Thank you for sharing our episodes and uh, keep posting on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special shout out tonight to a huge Bond fan from Germany, the brilliantly named Nikolai Quack, who has uh, also appeared on one of our No, no Time to Die debates. But Nikolai's a quality guy, and he came into the lion's den when we weren't really uh, massive fans of that film, and Steve was on that episode too, Steve Clump. So anyway, thanks for your support, Nikolai, as ever. So yes, I'm Tom Pickup, and with me tonight, I have three guests. Uh, First of all, we've got regular contributor John Kell. Good evening, Good evening. Good evening. Uh, And then we've got returning guest uh, and fellow IT... Sorry, not fellow at all. (laughs) Fellow, I was going (laughs) to... Steve Clam. Good evening, Steve. <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that, but I'll be fellow with you with, with anything. Oh, anything thank, in you. The world. thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> but yes, tonight we have, uh, for the first time, Mr. John Orty. Now, you might know him better, uh, particularly amongst Bond fans and stunt fans, as the man from the Behind the Stunts podcast. Uh, and he's also done other things, including Hello. books. And he's generally the most knowledgeable yeah. guy ever. Thank you very much for school. having me here. Yeah. Good to see you, John. You, you sound a bit behind, actually, there. That, well, uh, you, you stopped in the middle of a sentence there. Whether it was my screen pausing, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, we're, that's the beauty of technology. But uh, we'll 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 carry on regardless. But yes, I'm I'm very well, thank you. It's a, a great thrill to be here. I'm a, I'm a fan of the uh, of the podcast, so uh, it's quite interesting to be inside it 
for a change as opposed to listening in like a fly <laughs> on the wall. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to discussing stunts. Mm. We've, we've discussed them sort of briefly in the odd episode here and there and in our mm. reviews, but we'll delve a bit deeper tonight and we'll get a lot of your knowledge, which will be very interesting and beneficial, I think. Okay. So in terms of tonight, yeah, we want people to remember that, you know, way before Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, Fast and the Furious and all those, it was the James Bond films, I think, certainly, that set the pace when it came to stunts. They got bigger, better as the series went on culminating, you know, in the air-punching parachute jump in Spy Love Me. Since then, I think they've become a bit of a staple in the series, and we hope that they can continue to have the audience catching their breath in the future. So, yes, John, how did you get involved, so involved particularly in the world of stunts? Yeah, well, I'll give you the part, I don't know, I'll give you the abridged version, which really goes back to to uh, the first movie that I ever saw at the cinema, which was uh, Escape to Athena, which was uh, Roger Moore picture, Telly Savalas, David Niven, Sonny Bono, you name it, they're all in it. And um, it was a war picture uh, 90, set in Greece in 1941, I think. And the first sequence in the picture is a German guard chasing a guy into a Turkish bath, a bathhouse, and he comes in and there's a guy up in the roof space with a machine gun, volley of shots, and the guy falls through the hole in the roof and lands in a fountain, which was, I know, a fall of about 60 feet, probably. And that was the first stunt I ever saw. But the guy's face, it was filmed almost, it wasn't close up, but you could see him all the way down. It was slowed down just a touch. And he crops up again later on. I thought, wait a minute, that guy was killed earlier on. That can't be the same fella, surely. <laughs> and then he happens again later on. Oh, wait a minute, this guy, are these brothers? What's going on here? I'm really confused. And then subsequently, it turns out that it was uh, it was one of Vic Armstrong's stunt guys. So and Vic was the coordinator on the picture. And the amount of action on the movie is unbelievable. I mean, you would think that they had a team of 50, 100 people. There was nine, nine stunt doubles on wow. the picture, yeah. creating masses of action. You know, the the interplay between the editor and everything else. And I just thought to myself, this this is fantastic. I, I can't believe there's that many, nine people. It's ridiculous. Later on, there was a series of, of uh, TV programs which ran in the UK uh, from 1982 called The Stunt Challenge, which I'm featuring currently at the moment on uh, on my, my channel. This guy cropped up. They showed a clip of this guy, a guy called Roy Alon, who was from Yorkshire and had been in the business uh, for quite some time. Uh, late 60s started as a, as a sort of jobbing actor. Eventually got into, the, got into the business doing knockabout comedy and bits and pieces. He was a motorcyclist, and he was racing motorcycles, off-road motorcycles. Fell off one day uh, in, a, in a quite spectacular fashion. One of the spectators said, bloody hell, that were good. You should do that for the movies. And he hadn't even thought about it at the time and thought, that's strange, I should be, well, maybe there is a way in. Found a way in because Yorkshire Television was just starting back then. And he strolled in, bold as brass, and said, look, if you need anybody to do any action or stunts, I'm your man. And pretty much back then, that's how that sort of thing happened. And then they said, look, we've got this thing. There's a role come up in a particular production. You should maybe get an equity card, join the actor's union, because if you start speaking lines, the union are going to worry about it. So he did that, and that's how that started. So another program about him came along, and somebody had said, you know, what do you want to, if you if there's somebody out there watching and who who thinks this is the game for me, what do they do? And he said, write to me. You know, write to me. That's probably the best thing to do, or, or anybody in the stunt business, and, and they will give you all the advice you need. So being... A precocious 13, 14-year-old, I went, right, 
and I wrote, uh, I knew he lived in Yorkshire and his name was Royal on. So I went Royal on Yorkshire and put a stamp on it. <laughs> and my dad said, you know, you're probably going to need a bit more information than that. Really? So that's all I've got. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Worst case scenario is they will send it back. And so that's what happened. I posted it. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing happened. I thought, I'm waiting for this to come back. And dad was waiting for it. As he used to keep saying, is it here yet? I go, no, no, it's not here. Right. So next day, is it back yet? No, it's not back. Must have got it. And it took about three months, but I got a reply back from Roy. So he had got it, which is, you know, hats off to the Royal Mail, wow. um, yeah, who absolutely. are usually no disrespect to the Royal Mail, but <laughs> terrible. And, you know, so anyway, he got it and he wrote back and he put a telephone number on it. And, uh, and I rang him and we started communicating on a sort of weekly basis. And he said, this is what you need to do. But first thing, get your education sorted, finish school, finish school. And then when you're, when you're done, maybe come see me and we'll try and sort some bits and pieces out. In the meantime, he invited me up. We were doing, taught me how to ride a horse. You know, I was looking at the, I was just fascinated by all the stuff that he'd done in the past. It was wonderful. And of course he built the airbags that the guys would fall into his his real name is Roy Wilson, but there was already a Roy Wilson on equity. So you had to change your name. So Alon, his first wife was called Nola and Alon is Nola backwards. So he decided that's a good idea. And when he was doing high falls of sort of 60, 70 feet, you used to fall into mattresses and on the top would be cardboard boxes. And when you fall into them, if you need another take, you have to take out the damaged ones and replace them. And he said, well, you know, cardboard boxes were about 85 pence each last time, and that was quite a lot of money if you had to replace a whole bunch of them. So we thought there's got to be a simpler way and developed those those airbags that the fire service used to use um, and eventually thought, right, I'll find a way of doing this from his engineering background and created bags of varying sizes that would that would work in different heights. We jumped uh, from a uh, – used to – you couldn't do it these days, but with health and safety and various other bits and pieces. But there was a thing that he used to do called do a stunt with a stunt man day. Really? You'd walk into a big <laughs> field and there'd be a bloke on the gate going 20 quid. And you go, uh, right. Okay. You hand the money over, you know, and then you go into a cherry picker and jump with him into an airbag. It was pretty, you know, I must admit it was exhilarating to then understand body posture and body positioning in the air. And when you're falling from 40 feet, and the difference between that and 60 feet, you're positioning in the air and your body starts to do things, which you then need to, you know, you have to mm. accommodate before hitting the airbag correctly. You hit it correctly if there's two of you as opposed to doing it on your own. So all of this and these stunt challenge programs went on. And there was another one, which was New Year's Day 1987, which was uh, Stuntman 86. It was on the BBC. And Greg Powell was the stunt coordinator on the show, and wow. he was asked a similar question. It was actually hosted by Mike Smith, uh, the Radio 1 DJ, who's not uh, not with us anymore, sadly. But uh, he uh, he asked the same question. Greg, what do people do? He said, write to me. So I thought, well, I've had some success with Roy. I'll write to Greg. And uh, he rang me um, about six months later and said, look, you're in Derbyshire, which I was. I was living in um northwest leicestershire which was is now derbyshire we're filming up the road from you in the summer um why don't you come up we're doing a movie why don't you come up bring your dad and we'll have a chat and bits and pieces so we did that they were filming a thing called lady and the highwayman which was a it was a barbara cartland novel which they were turning into a movie and um it was my first real experience of being on a film set um oh, wow. and it was amazing it was all these costumes all these horses everywhere i was most excited because i was 
with the stunt team the whole day, but we all sat in we sat in the square in the middle. Again, you couldn't do it these days. If you were filming in a stately home, firstly, the stately home wouldn't be open to the public, which this was. You wouldn't have any access to the stars whatsoever. And yet, you know, we are sat in a sort of main circle. There's people walking around the outside asking people for autographs. And sat over there is John Mills. And <laughs> then there's uh, Gordon Jackson. And there's Oliver Reed. Um, and there's um, uh, Gareth Hunt. And there's all these extraordinary, and the 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 um, star of the movie was a young man. It was one of his early pictures, uh, and he was called Hugh Grant. Oh. I, don't, I don't know whatever happened to Hugh. I hope he's doing all well. I hope he's doing well. Um, and so he was the flashing blade. It was a sort of swashbuckling type thing. And uh, all the stunt guys, Graham Crowther was doubling him because there was horse work. Nick Wilkinson, who was another stunt guy, he was uh, he was doubling Gordon Jackson. Elaine Ford was doubling Lisette Anthony. And I was on the set as these two horses come thundering past me into camera shot. I was ab- I just couldn't believe the, how exciting it was. I was watching sword fights being worked out, these guys rehearsing for the scene coming up. And I met a guy, a, the, a guy there, Wayne Michaels, was uh, was acting in mm. this particular piece. And I... I uh, I recognized him from a, from a television show called uh, call me mister, uh, where he fell off a, in the opening sequence of a movie. He f- it actually made the title sequence of this, uh, of this thing. And it was a 70 foot fall from an, uh, from an adjoining, from a, a, a little ladder to an adjoining building. And he said, how the hell did you recognize me there? And that was the first time I realized that maybe I was one of the only people that was really studying who these people were. And, their arm actions in the air. Ah, that's so and so. I could start recognizing people the way they fell. Anyway, that was that was how that started, and then it kind of went on from there. Really, Roy had got me to, along to start doing horse falling and showing me how to do horse falls. Falling off a horse is not as easy as falling off a horse. It's uh, it's it's <laughs> it's um, you, you know, obviously you from a stirrup perspective to make sure you don't get your foot caught in it. They use what's known as an L step, where you're you're literally got your foot in it and you can clear your foot. You're not going to get dragged by the horse. Hmm. So and then you push away away from the from the horse and and we all have a natural bias. Um, we we prefer to fall in a particular way. I was played in goals for years when I was a kid, and was always happier diving to my left to save balls than I was diving down to my right. Just I hadn't done it very often. So falling from the horse, from the left of the horse onto the ground or onto the uh, padded area with hay, and there was pads underneath the hay. That was fine. We did five of those, and then we got to the end, and we turned the horse round, and we came the other way. So I'd be leaving from the right hand side of the horse, and I did two or three. And the third time, I heard my hip go. Crack, Ooh. and uh, I was 17, 16, 17. Oh, it's unbelievable! I mean, Roy was—he was, he was uh, beside himself, but it wasn't his fault. It was the fact that I, from my my natural bias of what happy going the other way, you kind of you can't afford mm. to specialize a particular side. You have to be versatile, and so it took much longer to heal than I'd anticipated. I thought, well, I'll get it, I'll get fit, and I'll just crack on and carry on where I left off. But it's never been right. It still hurts now. I fractured it again last year. You know, so it's just one of these things that's that's um, maybe it's a sign <laughs> from somebody upstairs going, this is really not for you. You know this isn't for you. Just stop doing it, all right? Stop <laughs> think, and let's do something else. Let's do something else. So I did some, uh, I did some writing and I did some journalism and, and I kind of tied up the two by writing about the business uh, and realizing that there wasn't an awful lot of uh, publicity as far as stunts were concerned, primarily because at the time, I suppose not many people wanted it, particularly people inside the business um, from an old school perspective. And certainly from a Hollywood point of view, many of them were saying, well, you know, we just, we don't need the recognition. 
we do the job, we get paid, and thank you very much, and we go home. Nowadays, it's a very different business with with social media and um, you know stunt performers having Instagram ha- accounts and and uh, and having websites and promoting. Uh, and, mm. and also going old school in the respect of where where actors used to have uh, stuntmen who would be their double throughout their career that stopped for a long period of time and now it's back again you know so we've almost gone full circle where if if um chris hemsworth for instance is is working on a movie his stunt double uh, bobby hanton is going to be with him full stop because that's the contract that they have which is exactly the way that the old contract used to work with bob simmons and and sean connery which is why connery wasn't on honor majesties because he was doing shallico and connery was was said oh, bob's going with me and off he went so that's you know those type of things and but now it's come full circle so the idea behind uh behind the website and behind the, the the whole Facebook thing and the behind the stunts logo and project was, you know, credit where credit is due. And I wanted to put as much information out there that said, look, you know, yeah, you love these movies, you love all sorts of bits and pieces, but you know, that's not him. And that's not her doing that. It's this, this guy and this girl here, they're the ones that are doing the doubles. And if I could find any photographic evidence to back up that, that would be super. And that nine times out of 10, that would mean going to the doubles themselves and saying, look, this is what I'm doing. And is it okay if I could use this photo um, for Facebook or social media or whatever it was? And they were fine with it. I think it was just a timing thing more than anything. It kind of started in 2010, 11, and it's been going ever since. So it started off as a, as a weekly YouTube show me in front of camera doing almost a, it was almost a review show, the latest movies that were out and I was picking the stunts out of it and doing that. But it was a clip show. And of course I got issues with, with copyright infringement and also, so, so it was, it was a, it was an uphill struggle. And I laid off it for a while and I was going in different directions, doing other stuff and then kind of came back to it um, really heavily, I suppose, when the, when the pandemic kicked in. So this last 12 months has really been, um, or last 18 months rather, has been has been pretty good as far as that's concerned. So now right across the board, I try and produce as much material, exclusive material, if I can get it. I'm only on the respect of that being able to go to you know those individuals concerned who performed it and, and say, look, this is we can do something with this material now. You've probably had it for 30 years and we've not been able to do anything with it, but now there's a there's a way to be able to do that and a, a way to be able to understand it better. The audience want to know, you know. You've spoken to so many Bond stuntmen. And, you know, I remember one of them, Rocky Taylor, he's been Sean Connery's stuntman when he's been older, isn't he? But certainly in Last Crusade and things like that. Yeah, Rocky was one of those guys. I, again, this was the show. I, I did a, I did an episode in that particular show about uh, individual stuntmen. I did one about Rocky. It was about half an hour. I mean, I, I'm very conscious of, of the um, the viewers' uh, concentra- concentration span, and it's not half an well, hour, really, if the truth <laughs> be known. If, you know, throw the kitchen sink at them in 10 minutes, and they absolutely love it, but, you know, give them half an hour, 40 minutes, and it's, it's hard work, you know, trying to get the amount yeah. of people viewing or the viewing figures that yeah. you'd like. Anyway, this was back in the, the days before I realized that was a, that was a strategy. So uh, it was half an hour or so. Stuff that I'd, like I said earlier, I could recognize the way that people fell or I could recognize the, the profiles of individuals and go, right, that's not the actor. That's definitely the double. Who's, who is that? And I would then hunt through my archive of, of images and go, ah, I think that's so-and-so, you know, and then double check it. And so anyway, I did it. Uh, he uh, Rocky's one of those individuals who's done a great deal of 60s television as well, arrived at that sort of time. Avengers, he was Steed's double for many years on the Avengers. The Saint, that opening sequence in The Saint, 
where Roger is throwing its silhouette, but he's throwing the guy over his shoulder. He's stamping on the guy's hand. Um, that's all Rocky, right? He does all of that. And uh, so I, I found sequences like that to put them all together, explaining about his accident, of course, which he had on Death Wish 3, his comeback really after that, and posted it and thought, super, that's me done, right? I'll, I'll start researching next week's show. And in that period of time, he rang me. And it's one of those very odd things when you you receive a phone call from somebody that you know you you automatically know this is not a wind up. Mm. You know, you 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 have that moment. You pick the hello. Is that John? Yes, it's Rocky Taylor. And I automatically knew it was him, and almost fell through the floor because you know what? Why this guy was one of my heroes. You know, to suddenly receive a phone call like that is crazy. And he said, "Look, I've just seen this thing that you did about me about half an hour." materially so there's stuff on there that i've never seen before and he said you obviously know more about me than i know more about me and, and um I, i'm trying to write a book and i'd like you to do it and i said uh, uh, fine i said it'd be a pleasure and on the strength of that we got together and we wrote his book uh jump wow. rocky jump still available in the stores folks you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ideal for christmas and i've got the mortgage yes. to pay for so you know all of that and we got together and we did that and on the strength of doing that I was kind of accepted into the stunt circle a bit more because they said, well, oh, no, okay, you've written this. Oh, this is very good, you know, and uh, why don't you have this? And here, this is interesting. You'll like this. And all of a sudden that was happening. And I'd been very lucky, I must admit. You know, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't say any more than that. I have been very lucky. The, the fact that um, Roy had said, you know, I'll try, I'll try and get you down onto a, onto a logo. I did some, he was touch of frost. He did touch of frost for many years. He was David Jason's double on that and, and all the bits and pieces. So I did episodes of that. And he says, uh, oh, I'll get you down onto a film I'm doing. I said, Oh, cool. What film is he? he says it's die another day. So we, we went down to Aldershot yeah, yeah. and I was on the, I was on the, uh, I was on the pre-title sequence there going, this is lunacy. You know, I just genuinely just stood there. <laughs> I was ankle, ankle deep in mud. And I said, look, if this is what North Korea is like, I'm definitely not going. I'm going to make that very clear before we go any further. This is shocking. And he walks out, and, you know, a Yorkshireman, with, and he got quite unkept hair at that time. And he called everybody Flower, primarily because he couldn't remember anybody's name. But he used to say, all right, Flower. He said, bloody hell, you look like a gnome. He said, now what I did, I'd got sort of waders up to my knees. And uh, I was in about ankle deep in, in mud. And it was absolutely horrific weather all day but we were watching you know the creation of of this uh, pre-title sequence and he mm. was driving um he was driving some of the hovercraft and they had uh, oh. uh, every possible oriental gymnast or stunt performer or just anybody to make up the numbers because they're very short of 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 numbers from from certain backgrounds and and uh, certain eth ethnic backgrounds it's very difficult to particularly nowadays to say you know we need 150 korean soldiers you go where are you find them from we haven't got that many you know we've probably got four i think now there's probably <laughs> six guys who would pass on the basis of their of their ethnic background if somebody was looking for that and so you've got to go elsewhere and they had to bring in guys from gyms from uh, uh, from judo clubs and from all sorts of bits and places and 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 run them through rehearsals of right i'm going to 
I'm going to shoot a gun at you and you're going to die. And I want you to, I want you to react like you've just received a gunshot from this. And then you need to react like you've received a gunshot from a powerful shotgun or even something further. And some guys were terrific and some guys were shocking, but that's the, you know, you go, right. This, <laughs> this guy's very good. Let's, let's work on him a bit more. So that's what they had to do. And so it was great watching what was going on and watching them train these individuals. It was also, uh, you know, watching the shots. I was with Vic pretty much the whole day, watching the sequences that were being filmed and, and how they were filming them and how Vic was, even though storyboarding, he's editing as he goes along, right? The, the, I'd be happy if we cut from here to this shot here. That's better. No, I know what the storyboard says here, but we go to this shot. This is better. So he's making it up in his head as he goes along because that's a better shot. And uh, I realized that that's probably what, um, what Bob Simmons was doing originally. Mm. He was that kind of character who was able to edit in his head the storyboards they would have had back then would have been kind of well you know primitive to say the least they weren't the type of storyboards you probably have now and they were also probably more verbal than imagery more than than actually picture themselves so on, on that basis i thought you know this is very interesting how they're doing it all so it was great and also you know as soon as as soon as filming had finished everybody left and i was practically on my jack jones in the middle of the demilitarized <laughs> zone not being able to get back to the uh, main area for a good hour until a land rover went by and went Sorry, can I ha- sorry, can I help you? Says the guy behind the wheel. Well, yeah, if you could take me back to the, that would be. Oh, sorry, we didn't realise you were here. No, that's true. Evidently, all these vehicles have been driving past me. And nobody <laughs> stopped. You know, I'm not walking my dog, am I? So anyway, he took me back, and uh, it took me about an hour to peel me, peel me waders off. But it was an ext- extraordinary experience, I must admit, uh, to be down there and actually watch watch a Bond being filmed. You yeah. know, but uh, I have been very lucky. I can't I can't say more than that. Did you go a really long beard while you were waiting uh, to be rescued? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I tried to make my heart rate stop, <laughs> uh, which, funny enough, is exactly what I tried to do. And I watched the film. Uh, I tried to die. I think that's what I tried to do. Because <laughs> to be fair, you were you were you were there for probably the best part of the film. So um, yeah, at least that was the scene you can say you were there for. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, um, it has. Um, it's it's uh, that opening that opening sequence for me is is it's edited peculiarly. There's a few odd moments of of editing going on, but I think that movie it, it um, let's talk about that movie later. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't want to feel nauseous at this stage so early. Uh, it, it would be inappropriate, I think, to suddenly barf at this point. Dear <laughs> me. Well, who who is your favourite Bond actor? First of all. Oh, Roger Moore, absolutely, without question. Oh, uh, and I think that because yeah, this, Fear Eyes Only was was the first movie I saw at the cinema. It was the first Bond I saw. Yeah, I saw at the cinema because uh, I we saw Escape to Athena, which I think was the summer of seventy nine, and I'm not quite sure why we didn't get round to seeing Moonraker. But anyway, Fear Eyes Only was definitely the first. I found it fascinating. Roger, I'd always admired, even then as a kid. I just liked, you know, I thought he was so cool for a start off. He was very suave, very sophisticated. And as I found out that, you know, my friends at school were were, you know, they were trying to they were trying to look like or or act like uh, those uh, pop stars or somebody they would see on TV. It was always Roger Moore for me. You know, mm. I remember vividly 
going to the barber in my local village with a photo of Roger from uh, from probably For Your Eyes Only or Octopussy and going, I'd like my hair like this. And of course, I had my hair cut like everybody else has their hair cut because that's all he could do, But which was a shame. I thought uh, uh, how he managed to get any business to be on me was, was uh, I have no idea. Having said that, uh, that crew cut did grow out uh, uh, over time. But Roger's Roger always looked fabulous. He always looked, you know, he looked, I would love to have met him. And I, I, uh, I had, um, and I lived in Belfast for a period of time and he was, took his one man show there, uh, when him and Gareth were doing the, the, the two man thing on stage. And I thought, Oh, brilliant. I got a chance to go. There was some catastrophe at work. Was I was working for the international airport at the time and, and I wasn't able to do it. And nine times out of 10, I would have said, you know, up your job and I'll quite happily go and see this, but mm. I couldn't do that. There was, it was, there was lots of other implications and I sadly missed the opportunity. And, but he was, he was certainly my favorite actor in the role and everything he was in the saint, the persuaders, North sea hijack, the wild geese. It didn't matter what it was. I, it, it was going to be a, a great movie because Roger was in it, but I was there to watch it primarily for Roger. And when he died, I tell you, it was, uh, it was like a family member had died. You know, this guy had been a massive part of my life for over 30 years and to suddenly have it not that I saw him every day. You know, he was on the, it was on the wall of my, of my, uh, my house as a, my bedroom when I was a kid and we'd watch movies and your TV and bits and pieces. He was just all a constant the whole time. And then he died and I went, Oh wow. You know, it's unbelievable. And probably the first time I was talking to my father the other day uh, about this and about grief per se because my, i lost my mother uh, back in october of last year and the kind of outpouring of grief that that you that you find you don't prepare yourself for it's yeah. it's a it's a very uh, a very um uh, specific to individual situations and in his case in roger's case the same thing it was almost exactly the same thing i just i was lost for days on end and i needed to just you know have have time to myself and that's you know subsequently when we get round to uh, uh, no time to die, there's a, there's a whole aspect of that involved as well. But Roger was the guy for me. No no two ways about it. Um, he was he was the one that uh, that I would yeah well definitely definitely. Uh, I'm always fascinated by those individuals who go. Mm, I can't. I'm, it's a tie between no, it's not a tie between one. You either like this guy <laughs> or it's this guy. You know, you de- the 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 character doesn't matter. Character's Bond. That's fine it's the actor and for me it's always roger when you say you'd love to have met him i mean he's he's my sort of second third favorite bond it was him and connery second and third but if there was a bond i could have met an actor it's yeah. roger i've got loads of roger's books and you know when yep. you read about his life and the way he talks about himself and his life he's the most likable yes famous person i think i've ever come across and and it's a real shame actually for me that i didn't meet him i did a couple of times try and create situations where i would meet him through work but it i could never quite pull it off unfortunately i think it's testament to the man where we've obviously had this incident recently with andrew flintoff making this um throwaway comment about his bond not necessarily i I don't i didn't interpret it as roger the person rather roger's bond but you just saw the bond community and his co-stars just come out and defend him to the hill and said yeah. no this man was an absolute gentleman that's just that's testimony to to the guy because they wouldn't need to do that 
Absolutely. No, no, exactly. Uh, and the the uh, the difference, obviously, between the, the his bond and Sean's bond are very are very different. And they made that, you know, they made it a very conscious decision for Roger not to do the traits that Sean would be would be would be famous for. Mm. And yet, there are moments in Man with a Golden Gun where his character is Connery esque. Connery yeah. Bond-esque in that respect, you know, um, slapping Maud Adams and that type of thing, you know. So on the strength of that, and then allowing him to to kind of move move the character into much more of a lighter tone was absolutely what was needed, I think, after that. And um, you know, there there are there are terrific uh, terrific moments in, in in Roger's films which which only Roger could do, you know. Yeah. You couldn't have that that whole uh, you know the, the the clown sequence, for instance, just out of sheer curiosity and octopusy, is 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 beautifully done for Roger, and Roger plays it very well. Yeah. You couldn't have Timothy Dalton dressed as a clown; it wouldn't work. You couldn't have Connery dressed as a clown. Yeah. You know, it just it just wouldn't happen. But it works in that respect because it's Roger. So he's uh, he's a great way of the writers going. Right, we've got so much scope because we're uh, he's our he's our actor, which means we can do X, Y, and Z, and and it's absolutely fine. Mm. So yeah, great loss, but he's my man. Uh, us too. Well, we're absolutely obsessed with him as well, and desperate to sort of chat to anyone in the the Bond community, actors and directors who have been involved with him. And thankfully, we've spoken to John Glenn, and just getting that insight from him was just wonderful. Just yeah. to, like you say, John, uh, having backed up that everyone you meet and talk to who has met him only has positive things to sure. say about him. Um, and, uh, you know, the other the other people we've spoken to, you know, with say the same to be fair about Sean and uh, Timothy. Um, exactly, yeah. yeah. I think everybody says the same thing about Bond. their own actor. Yeah. Which is your favourite Bond film? Would it be a Roger film? Uh, yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, I'm I'm of the standing where it's, it's you know, which, whichever one I saw first for your eyes only was always my favourite. And, again, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, to meet John Glenn when I was – talking to him and I said the reason that I like Fear Eyes only so much is because you can take the character of Bond out replace it with any other character and it still works on every level it's a great thriller more than anything else and Bond isn't having to rely on um, all of his his uh, gadgets and other bits and pieces he's he's operating with this you know he's operating with his head with his brain he's physically doing all the bits and pieces and on the strength of that it's sensational now on the same vein of as that, I always have in my top five, regardless of whether people look at me and go, this bloke's got a screw loose. But I always have Diamonds of Forever in my top five because it's just huge fun. It's massive entertainment from start to finish. Connery's been paid an absolute fortune, and you can see that he's loving every single minute of it. And on the strength of that, um, his performance is such that he's just sailing through it thinking this is why didn't they do this four pictures ago I'm loving this you know he's absolutely having a great time and John, for my benefit just, uh, my internet wobbled as you were saying which film I assume you're talking about Diamonds Are Forever was I hope so yeah indeed I am yes yes Diamonds yeah, Are Forever years old it's uh, it, it's just I think it's great great entertainment from start to finish the uh, the char- it's great characters the um the music score is spectacular. Mm, yeah, super. John Barry's score is amazing. Super. Everything about the picture just, you know, screams out, yes, I'm having a great time here. This is fantastic. Yeah. And it's got ludicrous scenes in it and all sorts of bits and pieces. And yeah, it's just, you know, Charles Gray camping it up left, right. It's ridiculous, yeah. the whole thing. But I tell you what, after I saw, um, and I, this is the last time I'm going to mention it, but uh, the la- la- 
the the last you know on the uh was it the last time was it the first time it might even have been the first time uh after seeing no time to die the first movie that i saw which i because i needed a break was diamonds of forever i put that on yes. for a complete contrast now oh god you know it was such a weight off my mind to be able to watch <laughs> this and go i'm enjoying every single frame of this this is amazing it was just great <laughs> um so yeah definitely those two uh, Fury Eyes Only and, and Diamonds, brilliant. I think we all we all went back and watched the Bond film for therapy, didn't we? we? Did. A classic yeah. of different different eras. I think I had Golden Eye. Uh, oh. yeah, I think I watched Golden Eye. I can't remember what you you guys watched, but we were all talking about needing to Mine remind was, ourselves. It, it, it got so it. bad. I was watching old reruns oh. of Songs of Praise. That's how bad it got. Yeah. I just needed something, <laughs> oh, well. you know, that wasn't oh, actually connected <laughs> with a five story deal. I, it just moved me on. You know, it was uh, the simplest. John. Well, I remember that that links into something. Math, one of our contributors, uh, wanted to ask. It's very pathetic, but if only we'd rehearsed. Songs it. Praise, um, <laughs> you're not you're not related to Peter Orty, the the singer, the the boy soprano. Yes, we will uh, be related. Yeah, there he's he's, <laughs> he's from he's from the Leeds end of the family. Yeah, so um, walking in the air, walking in the air. He he recorded walking in the air for the film, the Snowman, exactly, yeah. and the Obviously, single yeah. was Alad Jones. Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, he's from uh, my my grandfather was from 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 Yorkshire, right? Bloody Yorkshireman. He was from Leeds, and apparently we're very big in forced rhubarb in Leeds. I didn't know this. <laughs> uh, I I didn't know what that meant. I thought it was something. Oh, it was foreplay, evidently. But apparently, it's not. It's that time again, uh, where we turn to John Kell and look forward to his wonderful quiz. And I assume to tonight, John, it's on. The best stunts, or or some stunts. It, it is on the best stunts. Yeah, I I was flicking through uh, the top ten James Bond stunts according to Flickering Myth website. Oh, I don't know. I don't know right. how official that is. Well, um, in that case, also just just out of sheer curiosity, if I may, Flickering Myth is running at Haydock tomorrow. Just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they they did their top ten James Bond stunts. So what we're going to do is we, uh, I am going to give you uh, a stunt man. You can try and guess what that what the stunt was for two points. But if you guess wrong, that means you're disqualified from answering the next question. So you can then wait for one point, and I will say the film as well. So you'll be able to go from that. Okay. We always have a buzzer. So we have a buzzer to see who can go first. I missed this one when we did the man with the golden gun, so there's never going to be a better opportunity to do this. So what that immortal line that leads into the immortal stunt that is spoiled by the immortal uh, slide whistle. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so if you want to answer this question, I want to hear in your best Roger Moore impression of Sheriff Dewey W. Pepper. I sure am, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Okay. So, Bob Simmons. I sure am, boy. Oh, Tom's going for it. He could Ooh. be on. Go on for two points, Thomas. So it's the... Sean Connery is the. No, you need to say what stunt it is. If you if you got if you got what the stunt was, if you got what the stunt was by knowing the stunt man, that's two points. Yeah. If you don't know it from that, you miss the next go, or you can wait for the film and do it and get one point with the 
Do you want? Do you want me to leave that there? You want to? You want? To I, I understand it now, and it's the top ten, isn't it? It's the it's top be, ten. So, yeah. Bob Simmons, does anyone want to have a go at that, or do you want me to wait for the film? Well, uh, just on the basis of what we know so far, which is very little, to be fair, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the spider climbing over Bond's chest in Doctor No. That is incorrect. So, uh, so John Orte is uh, not going to be able to answer the next one. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> you know, sp- stunt specialist Tom chance. and Steve, you've got a chance. <laughs> okay, so Bob Simmons for one point. Bob Simmons and the film is You Only Live Twice. I sure am, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, is it the the aerial shot of him beating everybody up on the the dots, the Kobe dots? Uh, yes, it's the Kobe oh, dots. Leading into going yeah. off the side in, in doing that jump onto the Leaning onto it, yes, absolutely. So that is one point to Tom. So the next one, uh, unfortunately, John, you can't answer this one, so it's just between Tom (laughs) and Steve. John, John, send me a message, or maybe you could just write on a piece of paper for me. (laughs) (laughs) So the the stuntman of number nine is Chick Bernhard. It's not a name that's jumping out at me. Do you want want the film for one point? Mm. The film is Licensed to Kill. I sure am, boy. <laughs> Go on, Steve. The the the, uh, the truck on the wheels. It is the tanker chase. Yes. Oh, yes. One. Oh, may, may I? May I? Yeah, I'm afraid so because that that's um, <laughs> that's utter nonsense. I don't know where they've got that from. It's 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 definitely not him. Just give me a second here while I I I double check my information well, because I, that, I think John's that, probably right here because as I said to you it doesn't jump out at me and obviously License to Kill is very very close um, to my heart I'm sure well, I would have heard that name yeah. I, I, you are it's, probably right it, it's, uh, it's flickering myth okay fine on the basis, <laughs> it, just just for the record so that we know we're, we're all singing off the same hymn sheet it's Gilbert Bataille is the uh, is the guy who was responsible for the two wheel driving but, but for the purpose of the exercise that's what the uh, website says, <laughs> so we'll go with the website answer. Except <laughs> don't back the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to put. So, so John's back in now. So the next stuntman. Back although, in the room. For what it's worth, it might not be right anyway. Uh, for two points, <laughs> stuntman is Wade Eastwood. Ah, sure am, boy. Go on, John. I'm going to say the. It's it's the it's a boat chase on the Thames. He he's one of the doubles of the boat chase on the Thames. World is not enough. That is correct. Oh, well. two points. That's wow. outstanding. So yeah, the world is not enough. Is that? It's the world is not enough. Yeah, world is not enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, Number seven. Here we go. The stuntman is Rick Sylvester. Uh, sure, oh, sure. sure oh, Tom, Tom got it. Go on, Tom. I, Go, Tom. I think that is the famous John Glenn directed parachute ski jump from Spy Love Me. Although at number seven, maybe it is. That is not the correct answer. Oh. <laughs> so Tom's, Tom's out ah. of the uh, next one. Okay. And that's so, the so other I'm... one. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. other one, yeah. Do you want me to say the film? Well, shall, I, shall I give my answer? Because I was jumping in as you well. You were, Steve. I, I'm probably not right because it. I'm now doubting myself, but I thought it was the car flipping over in The Man with the Golden Gun. It's not, unfortunately, no. So, John, do you want to go... You've got a good round next, John. I tell you what, you're laughing. (laughs) Uh, Do you want 
do you want to go, John, or do you want me to just say the, for one well, point what the film is? Well, no, I'll, I'll have a go. It's uh, uh, Rick Sylvester did, uh, did two stunts in the Bond pictures. The, the one we talked about there, which was The Spy Who Loved Me, and the other one I was referring to uh, is Falling Off the Cliff in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. So he's had two two gags where he both falls off mountains <laughs> um, in his entire Bond career. It's not bad. And quite right that you should get that one, John, as it's your favourite Bond film. Yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. Steve, you are in this one, so we'll just because uh, it will just say Tom for to disqualify because he went straight in. <laughs> so <between> hey! the, two... <laughs> the stuntman is, and apologies if I butcher it, Jerry Comu. Or Camus. Uh, sure am, boy. Oh. Go on, John. Um, yeah, Jerry was responsible for doubling Roger jumping the speedboat in Live and Let Die. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's outrageous. Yeah. Quality answer that. With confidence, I like that. Yeah. Like my license to kill, where I'm kind of squinting as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, the problem is, I didn't leave the house. So, this is, you know. <laughs> so, 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 John moves on to six points, and this is number five in the list. Jake Lombard and BJ Woof. Uh, sure um, am, boy. The thing is, they've been involved in the number, so I th- oh, uh, uh, mm. we have to assume that we're referring to the pre-title in Moonraker, the parachute sequence in Moonraker. You'd assume that that's incorrect, John. So that means that. <laughs> so, did Tom, Steve, do you want to go, or do you want the film for one point? I was going to go. Tom, oh, were you going to go with the same way? Oh, could I guess, John, before the film? You can, Tom. Go for it. Is it the Living Daylights Gibraltar parachute jump? Uh, no. No. Steve. Now I know what it is, I think. It is Jake Lombard and BJ Worth, and the film is The Living Daylights. Oh, right. Oh, is it the uh, end of the film on the on the back of the plane with all the parcels and it oh is. Yeah, yeah 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 that's one point wow. Steve. that must and have it... come up when you interviewed um necros what's his what's the actor's name yeah of course it did yeah andreas Wisniewski. yes yeah so <laughs> tom and steven uh sorry john uh it's just to give them a chance um <laughs> number four the stuntman is wayne michaels am i not allowed now no you're all right tom you're you're fine i'm just I sure am, boy. I, I didn't hear. Tom? I didn't hear that at all. I'm sorry. My uh, my my sound packed in truck. <laughs> the stuntman was Wayne Michaels, and Tom was just about to say his answer. Ah, I'm sorry, your signal, but I might be wrong. I I think he does the the bungee jump from Goldeneye. He does. He does the Goldeneye bungee jump. Oh, That's correct. Yeah, two points there. I hope you're counting scores because I've completely lost track. No. No, yeah, I'm on 53, great. apparently. Uh, well, <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. Uh, Random guess. Number three. Here's the stuntman. Lauren Bumps Willard. I sure am, boy. I sure am, boy. Go on, Tom. It was you there. I, that, I remember that because we talked about it in our review of The Man with the Golden Gun at length. It's That is the one who did the corkscrew jump, I think. He did. That is the corkscrew one. Yeah, that's two points, Tom. Number two, Ben Cook and Sebastian Fucan. I sure am, boy. Go on, John. Questionable, but as far as their answer is concerned, Ben Cook and Sebastian Fucan are the two doubles for the um, uh, crane or the the opening sequence there for um, 
Casino Royale, the uh, correct um, yeah. building site. That was the word I was looking for, building site. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And the final one, number one, Rick Sylvester. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Go on, Steve. You love this film. <laughs> go on, Steve. Uh, no, go on. I've gone blank. Oh, no. You've already mentioned it. Oh, License to Kill. Or Goldeneye. I guessed it for one. You what, sorry? I thought oh, you guessed it for one. Yeah, yeah, but it was actually Few Eyes Only. And then John was like, oh, the other one where he fell. Oh, of course, this this <laughs> off, the, off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the parachute jump. Sorry, I thought we'd already had off that one, cliff. which is why I was going yeah, it can't yeah. be that. And then I was, yeah. yeah. This is I why I don't go on Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I don't want Richard. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you. That's John. the end of the quiz. That was Let's a very talk. good quiz. It was, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you. it wasn't all it wasn't all accurate, but that's not your fault. It was, it was accurate to the information you had. Yeah, quite right. Well, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant, John. We'll eventually get on to talking about some stunts, but before we do that, I was thinking what qualifies as a stunt, and John might be able to help me a bit with this, because there's such an extraordinary range of stunt work that these guys uh, and girls have to do, and we've had the pleasure of speaking with Lee Sheward, who's performed pretty much all of the stunts that you can do. He's gone on to choreograph, you know, coordinate, and he's Mm -hmm. directed second unit, so... Um, if you haven't already seen that, that's that's a great episode to to watch, and that that'll be on YouTube by now, I think. But yes, you know, a stuntman they can have fights, of course, chases on foot, car, all manner of vehicles. You know, stuntmen might have to fly a plane, riding horseback, which John has mentioned, the jumps, which we've mentioned, climbing, you know, mountaineering, parachuting, paragliding, and uh, yeah, windsurfing as well, which is a uh, the most famous one yes anyway uh as as i've sort of alluded to we will have separate episodes on you know best fights best vehicles best chases um maybe best best set pieces as well so for the purposes of this special we'll just be focusing on probably the most impressive of all the stunts one similar to the ones really that john's mentioned and it's not we're not talking extended you know like the tank chase in Goldeneye, there's so many things involved with that. We're just talking sort of specific individual stunts, really. But yeah, the the Sean Connery era, of course, the first couple of films were fairly, you know, more, I don't know, low-key, weren't they, to the ones we've come to expect now. And we did, of course, get stunts from the start, though. You know, you, you know, even the gun barrel itself was Bob Simmons, wasn't it? So yeah. the very first time we see Bond is actually a stuntman, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I try it now because they they, they didn't realise at that time that, that they were obviously going to need the the character or the actor playing the uh, the character. And of course, he wasn't available. I mean, that was the other thing. He was he was away on location, so he wasn't there. Didn't get his own till Thunderball. Yeah, the gun barrel itself, um, and Bob not knowing what he you know he was asked to walk a couple of steps and turn, which is what he does. And then you compare it to Connery, who started, you know, right over there and then paces his way across to the centre spot. Dr. No, uh, Dr. No, uh, from I Should Love Goldfinger, year on year, 
the gags get bigger because they they can now afford to push the boundaries a little more and there's maybe more people available to do the type of work that they're doing but in answer to your uh, uh, earlier point there in connection with what is a stunt and uh, yeah. obviously Lee Shew is a very good example of that because he's a man who's performed them all at some point is that a stunt is technically something that is unnecessary for the actor to do this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation explore blue nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And can be repeated on many occasions because you might need to do it take after take after take after take. Um, and that's the difference between if the if the if the star of the picture gets injured, that's the production come to a standstill. If the stuntman gets injured, they just find another stuntman. It's that mm. simple. Mm. Um, so on the strength of that, Doctor No has a couple of moments in the car chase. Of course, um, in, in Doctor No is, is a is a prime example of of something that was a lots of back projection going on. Of course, in, in that that day and age, but the actual location shots where Bob Simmons is pretty much driving every car. He's driving the car that he's chasing and the car that he's being chased in. You know? What a guy. Uh, how, how talented do you need to be when you can yeah. drive two cars at once? And the other thing I liked was the um, when he's picked up at the airport and he's picked up by the guard you know, at the airport yeah. and, and yeah. he's driven. And again, Simmons is driving the car and that's Connery in the back seat. You know, He's not doubled for that sequence at all. That car mm. makes that right-hand turn at 40 miles an hour. Mm. Now, if you turn a car, you know yourself, you drive along a road and go, oh, I should have taken that turn. And you take that turn, the stress that will happen on you, your G-force reactions, and the stress on the bodywork of the vehicle is such that you would be thrown about. Now, he's wearing a lap belt. There's no harness seat belt like you would have at the moment. He's got a lap belt across that, and then there's no guarantee he's got one on. But I think Bob Simmons would have said, put that belt on and hang on to the inside of that door there with your left hand so you're reaching across so you don't fly across the seat you'll be you can prop yourself against that but as he turns you can see he's really having to fight in the mm. back seat to stay upright and uh, that's a hell of a risk to take if you've got the lead actor in there if Cary Grant had been in there or James Mason had been in there which of course they were the original or some of the suggestions that they wanted I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have been hanging on to the side of that car like that but you know they did it how did it happen? I think they were on their way to a funeral. Simmons takes over for the fight, and the guy playing the driver, Reggie Carter, he is then later, because he was a very agile individual, very physically uh, uh, useful, was then used later on in the Pussfella fight oh, uh, right. to double Pussfella as he's thrown into the boxes uh, of the Coors yeah. beer. So, um, you know, those little moments 
and of course the the, the first use of the two man switch at the end of the picture, as we referred to earlier, that um, um, in you only live twice. Bob Simmons jumping off into the box rig, yeah, steps yeah. down, and Connery steps out. Well, in Doctor No, him and Honey are at the end of the picture. Everything's blowing up, and they're trying to get into the boat. And they walk behind those barrels that are placed there. <laughs> so Connery walks behind the barrels, and Bob Simmons steps out from the other side and jumps down into the boat. And and Ursula climbs down, and and off they go. It's a very simple in camera job, you know. But it started out on stage. And uh, it's such a nice way to be able to do it in camera. It's very, very clever. And it's often love, missed, you know. I love those because um, I don't know whether you've seen Naked Gun. They spoofed them <laughs> so brilliantly. Ah, where you've got some guy doing flips with white hair and then it emerges behind. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but again, in magic. camera, in camera stuff. Now, you, you even then, you know, Leslie Nielsen was actually a very, very talented physical actor. Yeah. Not a comedian but a physical actor up until airplane, all of his stuff yeah, had been yeah. very, very serious. He was a proper serious actor. So when he is asked to be seriously popping out from the back of this chair as Frank <laughs> Drebin and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the guy that, that does all of this, um, flipping around the room and then dives behind the thing. And he just, <laughs> the timing is absolutely impeccable. Oh, it you is. couldn't, and it, you, you can't do it anywhere that, you know, he is lying there. He is waiting <laughs> to spring and the guy comes down, bang, and up he gets. And it's absolutely spectacular. But that's what you need. It's that moment. Yeah. And that thing on Dr. No there is a good example of, of you know that Connery is walking in and he might even give give Bob a push in his back and say, I'm here. And so we can just yeah. continue that walk right the way out. You know. Wow. So timing is everything. But doing it in camera is very nice. Uh, nowadays they do it. They do it all CGI and they do it in post. And uh, I don't know. It takes away from stuff. Really, yeah. doing it physically in the camera is great. Well, I think I think um, the way they shot stunts in many ways was was perhaps I find it more spectacular in the films in the sixties, seventies, and eighties because they would let the shots breathe more, Absolutely. which made you realise the stunt was done for real. Yes, I do. We'll come on to this, but I'll just touch on it now. The the corkscrew car, mm. for example, it's just a locked off camera. Mm. Now, now they would do it probably with a drone flying yeah. over, and they'd probably cut it as the you know as the wheels left the ramp and everything. Which, yeah, okay, visually it gives pace, but as you, as as an actual viewer, it makes you think, well, they didn't do that stunt for real because no. they've had to edit it into four different shots, so they've crashed That's four it. cars doing it. Whereas in in the locked off shot, you actually see, wow, that that car's left yeah. and yeah. landed. I think I think Cubby wanted that, didn't he, deliberately that, that he wanted it to be one shot, and and of course they only did the stunt once, didn't they? Uh, they did it once, yeah. and uh, so and, uh, if, if uh, it split it up and had a different shot of them coming out of the camera, and there is footage yeah. of that, of course, it split it. You're right, you're right, Steve. You're right, Steve. Right. It wouldn't have been as believable. Even, well, I think even even Cubby had said at the end of it, he said, "You know, um, yeah. can we just have a couple of police cars falling into the water? Just you know, something to give it an extra bit of." You know, because it just it, even it, it was worked out and computer the most spectacular thing. It still didn't yeah. look real. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. It was as too a kid, I, actually, um, there was a time because there was a long for a long time. The Man with the Golden Gun was actually my favourite Bond film when I was growing up, and uh, I was convinced that that was a model, but purely because I yeah. didn't believe you could no. do it and survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in my mind, Absolutely. I thought, wow, that's, that's clearly a model, you know. And then later, when I learned it was actually a real car, unbelievable, I was blown away. 
particularly when uh, when uh, um, Jay Milligan, who was the uh, coordinator of that, and and said we we worked it all out on computer, and then you look at the computer and go, Does I have one of those? all I could make it do was say the word run 150 times running down the way. How did you make a car turn over? That's the craziest. In general, I think one of the things that I love about the older stunts is just the how much they're highlighted in the films. And, oh, yeah. and and I think the perfect example for me, I've said this before, is the octopusy train sequence when you compare oh, it oh. to Skyfall train sequence. Because Skyfall train sequence is probably far more fast-paced and choreographed. But because there's, there's too much going on, it's too it's too overproduced. There's, there's music going on. There's about five other bits going on. So you hear about Money Penny, and it takes away the effectiveness of the actual stunt. Whereas you watch the Octopussy train sequence, and for me, it's so so far more effective because the whole emphasis is the stunts. They take away the other yep. things. They take away the mass production. I don't even think there's any score going on on that stunt. Actually, I think it's more sound editing and uh, it's train. It's, it's yeah, sound, sound effects. Effect. Yeah. And and that's the point. When you are doing a great stunt, that should be the focal point of of that scene. And I, I really appreciate that, especially in the Glenn films. But we're talking about John, Sean Connery, and I'm already getting excited about the 80s. Sorry. So I'll, I'll step back a bit. <laughs> no, yeah, no, my, I, uh, my we, can go, <laughs> we can go up and down. I don't mind uh, yeah, we tonight. We can get excited about the 80s. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, one reminds you of another, isn't it? And, the, and the, of course, the stuntmen and coordinators run through. Yeah. From Rush With Love, I suppose there is a bit more action. There's the, I know the... John's not a massive fan of it, John Kell, the, the sort of toy helicopter buzzing around scene. But, <laughs> well, uh, funnily no, enough... It, it, was, you know, it was an actual... Uh, <laughs> in comparison to the the greatness of the film, it's probably like a B when the rest of the film's an A yeah. star. I'm not going to say that it's never going to turn up on my Isthmus special as the bugbear of the James Bond series. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's there's a lot going on in from Russia with love. There's a lot of good points, yeah. you know. And there's there's a number of issues. That uh, gypsy camp fight. Yes, it is. It, uh, oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, on filmed filmed on the back lot at Pinewood. And uh, there's some there's some nice moments too. Also, the other thing to point out, and I think it's absolutely essential we point this out early, so so there's no issues. Is that Bob Simmons is not on the movie. All right, he's not working on the picture. I don't know why. Peter Perkins is the stunt coordinator, and I spoke to Peter's family when I was preparing my book. They said, you know, Bob wasn't available on the picture, but he did say to to Peter, "Look, I'm here if you want me. If you need any any anything, just give me a shout, and I'll, I'll help you out." Because he was brought in at relatively short notice. There's there's still no logical explanation as to why. However. For many years, people go, oh, that train fight. That train fight's amazing. Bob Simmons doubling Connery. It's not on the movie. It's not him. Mm. Peter Perkins doubles uh, doubles um, Connery, and Jack Cooper doubles uh, Robert Shaw. And you only see them, you know, in close-up once in the whole fight. You know, the first thing that goes out is the is the light is shot out mm. in the in the uh, in the cabin in the in the carriage, so that you can work in uh, sort of smoke and mirrors. You know, you're throwing. But the, Peter Hunt obviously doing a very good job from an editing perspective, where he's taking and filming the, the the fight on three occasions: one with the actors, one with the stunt doubles, and then doing pickup shots, saying this this shot was very good. I like the way you always see more Connery than you do the two of them together in the fight. Um, you never see. Um, there's a couple of occasions where Connery is is here and he's he's 
got hold of Robert Shaw like that, and it's very clearly not yeah, Robert yeah. Shaw. It's it's Jack Cooper with a terrible wig doing his best for it not to fall off during the next punch or whatever it is. But the, obviously those type of shots are very much more important. We need to see the actor. We need to see the character being in charge of this fight, winning. If we can see him winning or reacting, then that's important. So, you know, those type of things are, are massively important. That train fight's fantastic. Mm. And of course, the other thing, there's, there's a couple of great acting moments by stunt people in this picture as well. Krilenko uh, is played by stuntman Fred Haggerty. Mm. Um, now he acts obviously during that point where where they're watching the meeting going on, and uh, Karim Bay says, "Ah, clearly, <laughs> you know that sort of thing," and watching him. But he also is the guy who falls out of the rope, you know, falls down the rope and should have kept yeah. should have kept a mouth shut, you know. And that's a really tricky fall. It's probably forty feet, but he's got to be on the rope. He's got to turn, and then he's got to tuck, and then he's got to land. And it's a very small mattress at the bottom which you probably just catch, you do now on Blu-ray, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, you wouldn't have caught it before. And Rhoda, the other character, who's the guy who is in the truck oh, uh, right. that is taking, yeah, he, that's Peter Braham. Peter Braham's the guy that gets thrown off the boat. Uh, can you swim? And he throws yeah, him off yeah. the boat, right? Peter yeah. Braham is the guy who was the stunt coordinator on the Sweeney on The Professionals, nice. these TV shows that we now take as sort of a great movie in the in the early 70s called Villain. He was the stunt coordinator oh, yeah, yeah. on that. Robbery was another great movie in the late 60s. He was responsible for the action on that. Peter Braham is sadly no longer with us. He passed away in 2006, but is such an important individual in mm. stunting. And, of course, he started, and one of his early roles was in this movie. Wow. So massively important uh, to uh, to a lot of the people on the stunt register, those people who work today regularly as coordinators, probably got their first job through Peter. You think of these big parts in films, in some of them, and they're actually, it's far easier to get a stuntman to do the, the role than somebody, yeah. and then, oh, heck, we'd better get someone who's can do the stunts, but that's actually a longer period. Like Green Four, oh, keep Green going Four. back to... In the living daylight, yeah, you know, Bill. no yeah, point Bill hiring an actor is there to do the green to base, green Ford, You might as well just get the stuntman to do it, which is what they did, obviously, Bill Weston. Uh, and Bill Weston's another good example of, of someone who was prepared to bring people on. Uh, he yeah. was supposed to work on You Only Live Twice. He'd been asked to go along and, and work on You Only Live Twice. He couldn't do it because he was doing 2001 on uh, at Shepparton, mm. and it was running long. Uh, you know, these things, never they never run to time. It was running over, and he says to Vic Armstrong, if you're if you're free and you want some work, go down to Pinewood. I can't go, but go. You can effectively, re you know, replace me if you want to. I mean, you can't replace somebody, but you can make the numbers up. And so there's a job for you. And on the strength of that, that was that was Vic's first bond. And of course, everything spiraled out of control <laughs> since then. Yeah. You know? uh, but he's responsible for doing that. Which one? Which other ones has Bill Weston been involved with? Which are the Bond stunts and things? Uh, but uh, Bill Weston was, um, I think he was partly on, he did a day or so on Spy Who Loved Me. Then everybody did a day or so on Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> I think they just tried to get as many people down as possible. We haven't got enough red overalls. Will you take, yeah, take yeah, Allen's yeah. and get them home washed? And then <laughs> pop them so there was a lot of that going on. He did, um, when did Bill When did Bill pass away? Not that long ago, to be fair. No. He was, he, he was all, I mean, he, he did some work, he did some work on your eyes only as well i think i did a day there but again nothing directly specific he would tend to come in and come out he was michael kane's double for a number of years as well so right. he was busy working away with michael and uh, if you're monty python fans jabberwocky if you've <laughs> ever seen that he's responsible yeah, yeah. for all the action on that uh, he's the guy that falls off every horse you've ever seen <laughs> down there and uh, 
uh, in fact, created all of that mud that uh, Michael Palin has to uh, consume as he hits the floor with his mouth wide open, which was made of chocolate pudding, apparently. But uh, according to his uh, his memoir, but yeah, so uh, Bill Bill was uh, a lovely guy, a view to a kill. He was involved in as well, of course. He was okay. some, um, uh, he was Christopher Walton's double <laughs> up there on the uh, on the uh, on oh, the Golden yeah, Gate Bridge. Joking. Easy. Easy. Oh dear! Uh, so he, he was up there doing that in a rather lovely wig, but he was such a lovely guy to uh, to be around, and and people just you know they 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 got a they got a really nice vibe of him, you know. Just uh, if you were if you were in a bit of a low, you could go and see Bill, and everything was just great. According to Wikipedia, he worked on Saving Private Ryan, which is obviously my claim to film fame. So I will. If he did, if he was there substantially, I will actually have a picture with Bill because I've, oh. I was there with all the cast and crew. In okay, cool. So I'll have to dig it out and see if I can spot him. I'll try and find a picture of him and see if I <laughs> yeah. can cock him in this black and white picture. Yeah. Were you doing stunts? <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, not quite. Uh, it sounds more impressive than it was because I was working for the action vehicles, which makes me sound oh, very oh, wow, yeah. isn't it? Creating them and building them or shipping them over? Uh, creating and building and shipping. And I did... <laughs> I did have to do one effectively stunt, but it wasn't on camera because obviously it was a 1940s war film. The vehicles were provided by this company and some of the vehicles were, were original vehicles. Some were built for the film, like the Tiger Tanks. There are no Tiger Tanks, so they were built for the film. But one of the vehicles I had to drive across Ireland where we did the D-Day landings yep. was troop carrier. We had a couple of troop carriers and there was one which was, I'm not actually a massive mechanic thing but there was one that was a diesel a very old diesel the others were all petrol and none of the guys who were more senior than me i was just a, a lackey uh wanted to drive this diesel and i just thought because it's, it's a noisy old beast you know and we had to drive it like miles and miles across island and they say you you drive it. and i'd had some training to drive these old vehicles because they are a bit bit more tricky than than modern things what they didn't tell me was this this had no brakes <laughs> and i literally drove it across island with no brakes going down hills oh. and i was terrified now, running next to it yeah, obviously it shouldn't have been on the roads. And had Spielberg got wind of this, he you know he was he was a very methodical, sensible man. But they, I think a corner was cut, and they hadn't had time to to sort it out. So I drove us, and I was honestly terrified yeah. I would kill myself. I was more worried I would kill someone else. This <laughs> exactly. truck was huge yeah. and heavy. I mean, the metal on these things it just feels so solid compared to what you're in now. There's no obviously no airbags or anything. I was mm. terrified I was going to kill someone, and I was ready to just ditch it if if you know if I saw. You know, I saw a minibus coming the other way filled with school children. I was ready to just turn it into a ditch. Yeah. And that was one of the scariest experiences of my life, to be honest. And um, we, we, but I did make it to the location, just goodness knows how. And yeah, and I drove, drove them on the, on the film. But it was great. And it was great to be able to see this stunt, well, see everybody doing their jobs. But there was always a slight, uh, friction is probably not the right word, because it never boiled over in actual when you were talking to them. But the, the action vehicles guys weren't mad keen on the stuntmen because obviously the action vehicles guys have spent months building these vehicles, creating the tiger tanks and whatever, so which destroy the stuntmen will then go and destroy in a day, yeah, you know, yeah. just before lunch. Uh, so there was always a, yeah, a slight, a slight uh, friction and dislike towards the, the stuntmen, but uh, only because it was their hard work that was being put put up in flames. It, it's a it's a remarkable film. There's there's moments there you, you spot people, but particularly in a large sequence like that landing, for instance, um, Paul Heisman, who in The Living Daylights is the guy who gets knocked down by the um, the Land Rover, he is assigned to Tom Hanks as safety. So, you know, whenever there's those moments when Tom Hanks is on the beach 
Paul is, you know, six feet behind him. He's always there the whole time, and he's also responsible. For, he's the guy who is uh, who is blown up. He's got the he's got the flamethrower in his hand, and he's standing there, and they just blow the whole thing up around him. And he said it was the, one of the most extraordinary burns he's ever done in his entire life. But there are moments on that film when you go, <gasps> you know, complete breath. Those those guys leaving the landing vehicle and they're all on fire. That's and it's in it's not foreground. It's in background. You know, it's remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And I think. Simon Crane brought a great deal of that to Bond. Um, I was you know. I, uh, my my only regret, my whole professional career, and you know, I've taken TV shows that I wasn't keen on or that maybe didn't lead to what I'd hoped. But none of those are regret. They were all made for the right decision. My one regret was a mistake I made on on Private Ryan, where I was <laughs> Spielberg direct directly offered me a part. Now, admittedly, it was <laughs> a very very small part, but I'd been just on the set for four months. And we're all in uniform. So everybody on the film, no matter what your job was, if you were on set, you were in an army uniform. I think okay. the theory being, A, we might need you as an extra, but B, you might end up in the background of a shot. So let's mm -hmm. at least have you in the right kit. So we all had our hair cut in the right way. We all had the army uniform. So anyway, I've been around for days. And a couple of times he'd spoken to me. He was you know, a nice guy, just very pleasant and spoke to me because you are just around each other a lot. And obviously I'm just in awe of him. Just And I'm like... <laughs> I just spoke to Steven Spielberg, you know, yeah, incredible. I'm going home. Um, I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, one day they were preparing to shoot a scene, which is very near the end of the film, where one of the Tiger tanks, which obviously I've, I've been involved with building these Tiger tanks, uh, is crashed into the yard. The Americans have, what they do is they put a grenade. I'm trying to remember how it works. They put a grenade into the tank. It obviously blows up. And then the tank commander comes out of the top, blood pouring out of his face and then they batter him to death with the butts of their rifles the, the americans do who've climbed up onto the top of the tank and uh i was offered the the, the role of the tank commander right. and i was like well yes obviously uh, i would love to do that because i get to be in a and it's a real close-up i didn't know it's going to be but it, it is a real close-up in the film so i said yes now we were shooting that film in the hottest summer i can remember and we're all in heavy heavy uh gear and it was hot, and there were, it was so little to do on some days, uh, which you'll have seen, uh, John, on films. Mm -hmm. Some people are very busy all the time. Other people, depending on their job, can have nothing to do for days. Yes, and exactly. I was currently in that role with nothing to do, hence the reason Spielberg spoke to me, because I was just sitting around all the time. We were supposed to shoot this scene, so I was dressed up for it and whatever, and it didn't happen all day. Blazing hot day, didn't happen. Next day, went back to set, didn't happen again hours and hours and hours, and I was so hot and so tired in this uniform that I just took myself off for a walk, and I went and sat down by one of the trucks, and I fell asleep. Of course, that's when they called to do the scene. Oh. No one had mobile phones. They Where is he? He's them. not here. Yeah, no, exactly. We weren't allowed them on set anyway. And by the time someone found me, because they can't stop the whole film for some nobody to film out. So they got someone else, and I, and I went and watched them shoot it, and you can imagine how my heart oh. was just watching this other guy. They've just played this this scene. He was a guy I knew, actually, and he was a nice guy, but God, he was terrible in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're a mate and everything, but you yeah. were lousy in that well, I mean, he, oh, he was bad, and you saw Spielberg actually shaking his like head. They did so many takes. To be fair, this guy's got a mouthful of blood. It was made with like syrup with, with red dye in it. Um, so it's not easy to could have act and have a, a mouthful of stuff as he comes out and then has to split it out, but yeah, I'm probably doing him a disservice because I didn't I didn't do it, but uh, I I feel I would have been better. I feel I would have been better. Oh. And then I went to the I invited to the premiere of the film, and yeah, it's a proper close up shot as he comes out of the tank, and I was just like so so gutted. So yeah, lesson oh, learned. Lesson learned there. Unbelievable. 
Still um, incredible experience, though, Steve. That yeah, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely amazing. And I've I've got great memories and great photos from being on that film. But. How do you get over that? Because like, I'd have probably had tried to have an affair with his wife just to annoy him. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, let's 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 even up the scores, shall we? I'm going to take your part. There we yeah. go. How's that, Daniel? Like, I think it's about 26 years ago now. I need to let it go, but it's still will <laughs> chip away at me. You can't let it go. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> Understood. So you're listening to the Really 007 podcast. My name is Lee Sheward, and I'm a film and television stuntman, second unit director and stunt coordinator. Technically, I suppose we can move on to Goldfinger. One of the main stunts of that was the ejector seat, wasn't it? And I, I know well, it was a dummy. Yeah. They still um, had to do it, didn't they? And we've done an episode on the DB5 and how they made the car, and it had to be basically refitted and redone. I Which is really uh, what we're talking about here, but the, there were stunts involved that had to be, you know, had to work it out, weren't there? I think there's a there's a there's a couple of uh, of moments along the way that everybody, it's you know, people go, oh yeah, DB five, the ejector seat, greatest stunt. Oh, that's that's your man skiing off the cliff. But there's so much more to it than that, you know. Yeah. Um, that pre-title sequence alone, you've got George Leach doubling Connery swimming up with a yeah. duck on his head. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Alf Joint being Bond, jumping down from the wall and kicking Peter Brace in the face, who's the guard on the other side. Then Alf Joint becomes Kapunga, who attacks Bond, and that they have that fight together oh. in the pre-title before he does the whole shocking routine. Sorry, is he called Kapunga? Um, Kapunga, right. uh, which, which was which was a a brilliant. Um, I I'm not sure whether it was. I mean, the character is referred to as Kapunga, right. but the the phrase itself is is often referred to as you know a thug. Oh no, it's fine. That was, so yeah, Kapunga. I'm doing a I'm I'm, a, I'm in a quiz against a lot of John's James Bond nerds on the on Friday night, and I've got to do a got ah. to do a round, and I'm doing my round on obscure character names. So Kapunga, that's going down with Tucson and Chichi. They're the other ones I've got so far. Super. <laughs> <laughs> Both places in Arizona, <laughs> Tucson and yeah, yeah. and uh, of course the hay fight, the, the barnyard fight. So you know, really? you've got the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're quite a girl, pussy. I'm strictly the outdoor type. I'd like to think you're uh, not in all of this, sir. Caper. Skip it. I'm not interested. Let's go. What would it take for you to see things my way? A lot more than you've got. How do you know? I don't want to know. Isn't it customary to grant a condemned man his last request? You've asked for this. <laughs> Get up. Certainly. You've got Simmons doubling Con uh, Connery, of course, with Honor Blackman, but she's doubled by uh, Phyllis Cornell, who's thrown physically. Simmons is one side and Peter is the other side, and he grabs hold of him and they throw her into the hay, you know? So Peter Perkins uh, does that. He then doubles Bond for the for the fight later with Odd Job. You know, Bob oh. Simmons is not in that at all. So there's moments there. But, I mean, Simmons also does a terrific fall straight off the off the balcony, almost into camera, when, you know, they, he throws the guard 
odd job throws the card over the top yeah. of the railing and oh yeah, yeah and so it's it's a great fall and, and those those moments are terrific you know but again they're limited based on 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 the story thunderball does a similar exercise you only live twice is a much bigger uh, yeah. situation but there's there's a few moments in in thunderball that that i think are particularly good we, we, we remind always reminded of that opening sequence where bob simmons is doubling you know the grieving widow yeah. well uh, i've uh, come to offer my sincere condolences <laughs> my dear colonel Duval, i don't think you should have opened that car door by yourself yeah but who's doubling bond I'm guessing it'll be Peter go, Peter Perkins. <laughs> guess, you bet, now that's not a bad guess, but it's not. It's Harold Sanderson is the guy who's doubling Bond, who is the captain of the Disco Volante. Oh later wow! On. Oh right. Look at him again. So he's uh, he's a stuntman who'd been working in pictures for for many many moons, and was more or less in 1965 about the right frame to get away with it and of course Bob Simmons is actually is the character so he can't be doubling yeah. Connery so who's doubling Connery well they but, but he brought to Harold in so he's also the, the guy who uh, is the captain of the Disco Volante later on it's a typical Bob Simmons fight whenever there are Bob you know there's a Bob Simmons fight because furniture gets broken hmm. he uses everything around him lamps tables you name it the whole nine yards wants to use as much of it as possible Bill Suter with a jetpack. That was the first time that had ever been used. Yeah, yeah well, that's a stunt, yeah. You know, that's a proper... And, and, to, and to nail it on a number of takes to take off here and go right over the top of that stag on the top of the on top of the building and come right down and land on your on your, your ex every time, that's 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 serious precision. You have to know exactly yeah. what you're doing with this. So that's definitely stunt work, no doubt about that. But for me, you know, Bob Simmons probably steals the whole thing with that. That uh, when he's doubling Lippy, when the when the car explodes, the motorcycle is is written by a, a fabulous TT rider called Bill Ivy, um, who was doubling uh, the uh, the female assassin, uh, and the rockets are fired. Of course, filmed at Silverstone, the back of the car oh, explodes, mm-hmm. and uh, he has to drive it off the road and get out. So he's driving it on the floor with no door, so he can get himself out. And he still only just got out because he's having to wade through the grass with all the fire yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's, you know, very, very tricky. It's a fantastic um, thing. I would slightly kick back and saying that Bob Simmons steals the show on that scene because I'm always drawn to Fiona Volpe in her black leathers. Apologies. But apart from that, uh, <laughs> apology, apart from that, yeah, cracking scene. Sorry, carry on. Just... Just, no, no, just no. Needed to say that. Apologies, yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. And fair, and fair point made. But I think the 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 other guy that really needs to 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 have a mention, and nobody ever mentions him, and I think it's really unfortunate, is um, Bill Cummings, stuntman Bill Cummings, plays Quist. Yes. Yes. Right? Firstly, he's hiding in the shower, mm. which you know is a stupid place to hide if you've ever tried hiding in a bathroom. Lousy. Uh, I always find, whenever I've done it, that the um, the uh, the laundry basket is much simpler. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> but the scene where he is thrown to the sharks was written in late. Yeah. So he wasn't aware that that was going to. He, I think, the original idea was that he was going to be shot and would fall into the pool, and then they would they would have you know a dummy or whatever it would the, with the sharks coming out and late on he was said he was asked this is the next scene he's going what are you talking about ah you need to jump into 
we're going to throw you into the sharks. Throw me into the shark. You know, when somebody says, this is what you're doing, you have to comprehend yeah. that for a second. I, I'm sorry. You are going to throw me into the shark. I'm a stuntman, right? I'm not a daredevil. I'm not lunch. <laughs> I am a stuntman. And th they said, they asked him, how much would, would a thing like that cost? <laughs> of course, you go, uh, well, let me just check my book. And of course, there isn't a, there isn't anything that that you can do. So he picked. A, I think they they picked a fee of like five hundred pounds. And he says per take. Mm. And they went uh, okay, uh, making sure he was only going to get one. But then a bit later on, he said, "Look, I, I've had a talk about this, and I've had a look at what's going on there. It's going to cost you a thousand pounds easy." Wow. So I think he was paid a thousand pounds, which in nineteen sixty five was a king's ransom. Yeah, it would be. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Connery mentioned something similar about. Thunderball, but when Bill went in and he he landed on top of that shark, by the time he got out, he was probably dry. I mean, he was very he was in and out quite quickly. But that's not something that you train, you do gymnastics, you do all sorts of bits, you practice your driving, you make sure that you're supple enough, you're physically fit. Nothing prepares you for being attacked no. by a shark. That's stupid, <laughs> you know. Unless there's a way of doing it safely, and of course there isn't. They probably so, wouldn't do it now, would they? They they would do it now, possibly, you know, part mechanical, part CG, or do it all studio-based and drop it in CG later on. I think the last shark attack, well, certainly on a Bond, was um, was the one in, in License to Kill. That was a reaction shot with the guy who was doubling lighter. Prior to that, of course, George Leach falls in the water in, in Fear Eyes Only and is nuzzled by a shark but it's not him it's uh it's another uh a stunt diver who was who was hit by the nose of a shark in the groin and lifted clean out of the water and sadly he's he's not played the guitar since but <laughs> uh, I, I think it's um safe to say that you know those type of gags have i mean they're few and far between you know so it's not something when somebody says right this is the filming today and people go oh, jesus no not that you know that's the last thing you need certainly from those those water signals i think he needs to be uh, have a tap on the back there but uh, you only live twice really was was the, was the mm -hmm. that's the movie that changed everything i think as far as large scale yeah. action was concerned because uh, you know the budget for the budget for the volcano was the same budget for the entire movie of dr no unbelievable a million pounds to build <laughs> the bloody volcano you know they didn't have 125 stuntmen that's the other thing you know we need 125 ninjas we don't have 125 ninjas they had probably 55 people working as professional stuntmen on a regular basis back then and some of them not all of them would have been actual equity members so they were having to bring people in from this particular walk of life this gymnasium you know you name it they brought them in bouncers there were villains in there. I mean, there are all sorts of people just mm. coming in to do a day's work. Mm. And some of them were very good and some of them broke their ankles, you know, because that was the, the, the problem they had was 125 feet from the top of the, from the top of this particular stage, sliding down a rope and only yeah. using a rubber hose for your braking. So you have to have your, your weight to power ratio being unbelievable to be able to squeeze on that with one hand and slow yourself down and have a machine gun in the other hand to be able to fire on the way down. So that's multitasking at yeah, a serious yeah. level. You're coming down very, very fast and you have to make sure you stop before you hit the bottom, which a lot of them sadly did do. And there was a lot of injuries mm. there, people breaking their ankles and all sorts of stuff. But they also created the trampoline explosion, which was just 
fabulous. And and if you film it correctly, which they did, and they film it with lots of smoke and explosion in the background and slow-mo in certain bits, it's fantastic. You can do it now, and it looks yeah. amazing. Nowadays, they do it with wires. But um, to time everything, so you jump up, you jump down, the explosion goes off, and you fly through the air. It's amazing. It looks brilliant. So they were great, uh, great moments on that, I think. On your so was that, the, was that the first time that was d- done then on the... Effectively, the first time they did it was uh, was on that, or the first time they'd really got it right. It probably been done mm-hmm. on a couple of pictures before, and not quite got it right, or they'd done it next. But that was the first time on a major motion picture that they'd absolutely nailed it. Probably because they had the time to do it. They had a little time to rehearse it, maybe only the timing. You know, because if you you very rarely rehearse high falls or something of that nature, because you you're paid according to the possible danger involved in that that's why it's at a certain Mm. rate so if you can rehearse it then the value of that is going to be dropped over time so they probably rehearse the timing of it by jumping down yep okay and there's the landing right so they know exactly their timing from action to when they hit the thing but the first time they probably do it is when they're actually there and filming it for real but they got them right that time certainly so yeah good uh, good movie uh, that you only have twice and the again the the asato office fight is magnificent absolutely magnificent speed (laughs) superb really superb bob simmons absolutely flying through that good evening he does a a, a phenomenal move where he's got this the sword he's got the sword in his hand he has to simmons crouches down and gets gets the guy on his shoulder and throws him over and he's you can see his ankle bending as he as he (sighs) but the sheer weight of this guy on top it's absolutely extraordinary. And then they do this thing called, a, referred to as a monkey climb, but it, he's got the sword and he got Simmons like this and then he flips him over the top yeah. of his head and landing flat on his back. And that's the speed of that is for real. You know, it's absolute. They, they, maybe they would slow it down or maybe they would have a little landing area. No, 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 no. He's landing flat onto onto the floor. That Wicker's World documentary, if you've ever seen that uh, on You Only Live Twice, Harry Saltzman says Bob had had a word with him and he says, our roughneck says the floor is hard. He said, you're dead right. <laughs> you know, he's he's wearing back pads and all sorts, but he's, he's realizing that he's probably going to get three or four takes, maybe five takes that he's going to need to get this right, Lewis Gilbert, not one for doing one big take or doing a, a coverage shots or anything. You, you have to do them on a number of occasions. So he realised it was going to be a fairly decent payday, but he was also going to maybe get himself an injury on the basis of it because he's working with this guy. But, I mean, The Rock's grandfather was uh, 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 an extraordinary wrestler, you know, and, and, and because he's in that business, he knows about taking a fall and making it look good. Cheers. Siamese vodka. Uh, obviously, for those people who don't know, wrestling is just a game. Uh, it's <laughs> oh. not actually real, you know. Um, so all of that sort of stuff, you know, you have to sell the whole thing and make it look fabulous. And he knew that. He knew the ins and outs of all of that. And so was very ha- Bob Simmons was very happy to work with him and very happy to, to get that done. But there were some moments there when, when you, he gets home at night, jeez, my head, you know, pounding from the uh, from the impact that he took on a daily basis. But it's an extraordinary movie, absolutely extraordinary, and deserves rightly so. Everybody remembers the fight at Kobe Dock, and that's about. I the mean, same. I, o- yeah, I, I always, I also love the actual very short but a very effective fight between uh, Connery and Hans at the end, with Hans being thrown in mm. there, and and that was uh, that was coordinated by Joe Robinson, who obviously played. Peter Franks in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, 
to a to a point, and uh, and uh, uh, Hands was doubled by um, by Terry Richards, and Terry Richards is the swordsman in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh wow! So right, that's yeah. the guy who gets shot. Well, he's uh, that's the guy. He was the double. Romo Guerrera did some of the doubling, and Bob Simmons did some of the doubling. Also, there's uh, there's uh, when Helga falls into the water uh, and into the piranhas. Sadly, uh, that's uh, uh, stunt woman called Jenny Lafray, who I was lucky enough to meet. Oh five years ago maybe five or six years ago because uh, i'd mentioned about this and she said oh, that was a very long time ago she said but i still have a bruise <laughs> no. really you know back then and bear in mind that, that and this has cropped up on a number of occasions you know men are wearing they're wearing suits they're wearing everything's covered you you can hide pads under them all sorts she was wearing a a, a relatively standard sensitive female costume you know a blouse a skirt etc but even then, you couldn't hide anything under it because it would be seen. The slightest little that that skirt has to move accordingly, otherwise you won't see the shape of her pert derriere. You know that <laughs> type of thing, which nowadays you wouldn't be, you, they wouldn't even consider that. But even now, you know, women back then and now they're still struggling. They're still looking the script and says, "Woman runs across road in bikinis, knocked down by a car." And you go, <laughs> "Christ, really? Why?" You know, because it just continues to happen. And so there she is saying that this thing that she did in 1967, and she still has a bruise. You know, she still has pain in her backside from where she boom hit that as it slid wow. her off into the water. And so, fair play to her because there, again, there weren't many. There weren't many girls doubling girls back in those days. You know, there weren't many stunt girls at all. Uh, majority of the time, if if uh, if a woman was to be doubled in a picture, it would be by a stunt man who looked absolutely mm. nothing like, and probably had a beard, <laughs> probably had a beard, you know, and so and, and an ill-fitting wig. So yeah, fair play to her for doing that. No doubt about that. Isn't Daniel Craig? Isn't he the person who's been injured the most in stunts in the history of filmmaking? Well. And again, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of sense in saying the reason why he's been hurt is because he shouldn't be doing them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you won't get hurt if you don't do them. Tom Cruise is exactly in the same boat, and I'm, I don't want to get onto my, my soapbox marked Tom Cruise. Uh, however, <laughs> okay, the, the issue, briefly, I'll move on, but I'm, I'm just, now you've got me here, I'm just going to have a quick word. The fact that these are not just actors, they are executive producers of these movies gives them effective carte blanche to say yeah i'll do this and i'll do that and i don't think that should be the case uh, I'll, I'll i'll stay away from daniel for a moment but tom cruise really is ethan hunt and should be the actor and when there are nowadays particularly in the, this extraordinary world we live in of cgi you don't need the actor to be hanging to the outside of an aircraft when it takes off you don't need him to be you know skydiving for real in a sequence at night where nobody cares. <laughs> That's the problem. You know, there's, there's people out there who do this for a living and they're professional. And you know what? We can take your face and we can put it onto their face and it looks the same and there's no problem. And we've got all the technology that allows you to do this and you won't break your ankle jumping from this building to that building because, and we won't have to close down the production because we've got somebody mm. else who will do it, you know, but you can say that to an actor, but you can't say it to the executive producer of a movie. Fair without somebody going, uh, I don't think you could talk to Mr. Cruz like that. Well, I'm the stunt coordinator of the movie. I am wanting, you know, so, and I think Daniel's in the same boat. The, if he's injured, well, with respect, mate, that's your problem. You shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. There are people here who do that for a living and they do it very well. Uh, so, you know, actors should act uh, and the 
producers should produce that movie. But uh, th- when they when they cross and they they cross into other areas, if they want to produce the movie, super. I've got no problem with him producing a movie. But he doesn't need to be involved in everything. And I think that's where you have issues where it, where actors get injured. You know, of course, it, it does it does cause problems. Absolutely. I suppose there's a line which is a movable line. So obviously, Roger quite famously did no stunts, and he, he would make light of that. Uh, and that meant that they were perhaps a little bit restricted in some of the shots they could do. And obviously, watching some of his films back, it's quite clear it's not. It's not right. <laughs> nope. And then right. Timothy took over and did do more stunts. But I don't get the impression he probably went quite as far as as Daniel Craig or what Daniel Craig likes to tell us he did. So they were able to get more close-ups with Timothy, you know, in the action scenes. Obviously, then they didn't have the technology they've got now to stick Tim's face mm. on someone else. But no, that's true. Yeah. It, it is, I suppose, finding the right balance, isn't it? It's quite. If you've got an actor who's willing to do a bit more, you can get close-ups. You can get a bit more reality. And there is there is a there's a fine line, and then there's a huge chasm between action and stunts. And these are very very different areas. You mentioned License to Kill. A good example there is Timothy hanging from the helicopter, coming over the back of that uh, of that plane. Now that plane is a fixed plane. It's on the ground, and the helicopter is coming into shot. And he's probably 10, 15, 20 feet at a push above the ground. He's in a harness. He's in a he's cabled on. He's not going to fall off. However, the plane could crash, right? This is that the helicopter could suddenly drop out of the ground and kill him and the pilots in the plane. That's a risk. Paul Weston has, has worked on this and has agreed that this is doable. And as far as Cubby Broccoli is concerned, Jake Lombard is going to be doubling, doubling Tim for this sequence, not only in the air, but also the ground shots because they'll do it from behind or whatever they'll do. And when he drove up in his car one day and found that it was actually Timothy hanging under this helicopter, he almost died on the spot, you know? I mean, he absolutely lost it in a big way. And he, that was 1989. Now, technology has moved on, meaning that you can cable an actor, you can wire an actor these days to, for instance, jumping. The Quantum of Solace is a great example of him jumping from building to building, jumping onto the bus, rolling off the bus, all of that sort of stuff. He's on wires. He's on wires that are this thick, you know, they're huge wires, which you simply paint out afterwards. You don't see them. So there's a massive amount of safety involved there, but it, it's not only agility, there's also you know he may be very capable of doing it but is he trained enough to be able to do it Vic Armstrong always used to say that he had to drag Harrison Ford to one side and say Look, you don't need to do this every time that you do a gag I don't get paid said, what do you mean there's a moment in I think it's Raiders or Reds and um, Last Crusade Indy jumps off a rock onto the back of a horse knocks the horse down knocks the rider off gets back on the horse and rides away and Harrison says, I can do this. And he tries to do it. And Vic says, I can do that. In fact, I'm supposed to do that. I get paid to do this. And not only that, but every time I do the stunt, I get paid. I get what's known as an adjustment to do it again. And that's an incentive for me to do it again. You know, if they want to do it, I get paid more. He said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You have to tell me these things. And maybe with technology moving on, that whole thing of, look, there's somebody here who can do this for you because the audience wants to see the actor doing it. And Jackie Chan, I think, has an awful lot to uh, to answer for in that respect. You know, he's a stuntman mm. who has made that leap mm. to becoming a, an extraordinary and explosive action hero. And people go, well, he can do it. Why can't this guy do it? You know, yeah. So it's 
six or one and a half a dozen the other. You know, Bond started it all. That's the thing. We come right back to square one yeah. again. If you didn't have Bond, you wouldn't have Jackie Chan, and you wouldn't have the Mission Impossible movies, and you wouldn't have the Batman picture. So all of this keeps, you know, churning round to the point where we have action such a high level that the demands and the safety levels are, are, are going up, and yet the actors are are maybe being asked to produce much more go that extra mile simply to bump the box office you know well daniel craig's been a producer hasn't he that's another issue isn't it um <laughs> but i think part of it is he was sort of sold as oh you can believe that bond bleeds now i'm not so i mean i don't agree with that because i i think all of them have looked handy in a fight to be honest and they've all looked like they are bond in fights in the film doing the stunts mm. but it's that how you sell a film like uh, tom cruise there's so much publicity about him getting injured that probably helps the box office. You know, yeah, exactly. And they always yeah. film the they always film the action sequences first, you know, that, so that they yeah. get that yeah. hype. Yeah. You get all those photos in the paper. Look, this is what's happening. So they do it with that. They do it with Bond. No, I'm 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 of the belief that you don't need to do it. Not now, you know, maybe then, but now, no. There's so much technology. You don't need to do it. We'll move on to Honor Majesties, John. Can you? John Kell, what kind of are your standout stunts from there? I mean, I know the individual skiing scenes uh, are extraordinary, and they were the well, the first, weren't they, of the series? Really, the first proper skiing I, stunts. The, the, the skiing scenes to me are the greatest scenes in the whole of Bond. I think they're outstanding. I think they're absolutely incredible. I think it, it's just as much how well the shot as well as the actual. And you've got the greatest music of the whole series in going on as well for me. I love the ski scenes. I love the fights in On Her Majesty's as well. I think Lazenby's physicality is probably mm. his strongest point. The opening, the opening fight, but but the the fight with the guy who's officially called Shishi, the guy yeah. in the hotel room. That oh, is yeah. an absolutely yes. brutal fight. And then you've, and then I've not even started talking about the bobsled stuff. I mean, I, you know what? I, I could, I could wax lyrical all day, but all, it, all it'll be is me just groaning about how amazing this is. Why don't we actually hear some professionals uh, talk about uh, how these were done? Are there some here? Yeah, <laughs> Steve, are you one pal? Do you want to, you want to say? <laughs> He's the one who's worked on, the, yeah. you know, Spielberg films. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Honor Majesties is, is um, as I said earlier, the, the um, George Leach being given the opportunity to run the show is 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 a great kick in the arm for that as well because it, it's approached slightly differently. Those fights, the brutality mm. of those fights, George Leach and Bob Simmons both came from uh, a physical fitness background, from a boxing background. They used to box um, semi-professionally. You know, you have, we, we talk about uh, Chi-Chi, that's uh, Irvin yeah. Allen, who was a wrestler and boxer. So that fight in the hotel room is good, so good, because Irvin really sells everything that, you know, he gets. He gets um he gets brutalized by by Lazenby, who I still think, pound for pound, throws the best screen punch I've yeah. ever seen. I think it's absolutely because you know, Roger Moore threw a great punch. You see people throw superb punches. Lazenby's man. I mean, he and again, the the editor is your is your friend here, you know, because if you edit the fight correctly, you could be halfway across the room and deliver a right cross, and if it's if it's reacted quickly enough and edited properly, it'll be the best. And they throw a great sound effect in it. Uh, uh, these this movie always reminds me of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The gunshots 
Indy's firing his gun, and it sounds like yeah, a cannon. Yeah, yeah. Every, it's only a pistol, for heaven's sake. Those punches sound like somebody is crashing two bin lids together. You know, they're, they're really violent punches. And I think Lazenby's punches are spectacular. And if you've got a spectacular punch, you have to react spectacularly to it, which is what Irwin does, which is what Terry Mountain does, yeah. uh, playing Raphael on the beach. He said himself it was an unbelievably cold day. They were freezing their balls off. They were given two bottles of the best Portuguese brandy and said, help yourself, lads, two, take a couple of really big swigs and then get in there and mm. do it, you know, because they were freezing. And they went in and they, um, they delivered a, a fantastic fight, worked out beforehand. And Bill Morgan, uh, Billy Morgan was the other guy who was on the beach, who was uh, the guy who was being thrown by Lazenby into the netting, into the into the netting over the boat. So uh, he's also the guy, incidentally, in Diamonds Are Forever, who is uh, doubling the guy who's becoming Blofeld, covered in mashed potato. <laughs> and one of the one of the best scenes, actually, you know, when he's pushed, yeah. when he's let go and and slides back down to the mashed potato, he doesn't. There's no bubbles. There's no nothing. It's he's he's taking that's a breath hold. It's spectacular. It's, it's acting. You know, he's really acting beautifully. Yeah, there's many things there. That hotel fight, incidentally, was it was filmed for real with the two guys, the two actors doing it. Dinny Powell was uh, one of the stuntmen who was ready to double uh, Irvin Allen on some occasions if required, but it wasn't needed. Right. So he was standing by, and the editor makes it much better, yeah. certainly. And certainly those ski sequences, as you say, uh, Lucky Lightner was the, was the ski double for Lazenby. George wanted to ski and uh, wasn't allowed contractually, so did what uh, any... Any bloke from the outback would do. He'd wait till somebody's back was turned and go skiing, <laughs> you know, and so uh, got himself into a bit of bother. And then the, the other moment, of course, the, so Lucky Lightner doubles him for majority of it. Vic doubles him, Vic Armstrong doubles him just about to go over the, the cliff on the one ski. And uh, if yes. you look very carefully, you can see that there's a cable attached to his left his left leg as he goes over stopping him. What's slightly more alarming is that that cable is the same cable that was attached to Joe Powell in the toboggan when he's doubling Lazenby, uh, when he's doubling uh, Telly Savalas at the end of the picture. So the idea was that he would get thrown up to the tree and then the cable would kick in and he would stop prior to hitting the oh. branch. So it would it would hold him in place, and he would just react. Well, it broke. <laughs> Smacked himself and nearly knocked himself uh. out cold. Vic was quite concerned, going, um, "Right, so that's the same cable that we were using there. Is there no? They've tied it off around a fir tree in the distance." And go, "Yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry." <laughs> what he didn't realise was, of course, they threw the end of the cable out. And went, yeah, it's going to go there. That's fine. Of course, with his added body weight, there was just soft snow on top of the edge of the cliff. So when he went over, it went down another three feet, and he genuinely thought he was good. That was it. You know, he thought he'd gone. Mm. Of course, the guy who he strangles with the, uh, yeah. with the ski is George Leach, who later became his father-in-law. I said, did you do this around the house? Was this a general thing you did amongst family members? I'm just going to strangle It's my father-in-law. I'm going to strangle him here. No, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a sensational movie. That toboggan sequence is unbelievable. And there's, there's many, many things about Honor Majesties which um, – which work on so many levels, but the, the 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 major for me the major factor in that movie is that George Lazenby is Bond. I think mm. it's brilliant, absolutely yes. brilliant. It's a pity that uh, that he was advised or ill-advised, as yeah, the case may yeah. be. But then we wouldn't have gotten favourite Bond, Roger. Well, there is that. Eventually, you, you said about how pound for pound he puts the best punch out there. There's obviously that infamous story about him breaking the stuntman's nose in the audition. Exactly. Um, who and that guy ended up being Grumfer. 
in the actual yeah yeah, which, yeah. Yuri yeah Yuri yeah Frank. which yeah I was trying to remember his name and all I could remember was Boris Grishenko but yes Yuri Barenko that's exactly yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, yeah. yeah. I, I mean Vince Powell <laughs> yeah. yeah. my nose dude look at my but, nose um, <laughs> I said this to Tom before the the bit on the ski where he fall the fall off and you see the man fall on the oh. ski uh, off the cliff. And he, yeah, you hear the screams, and he, you see him hit the hit the snow. Next time you look, I don't know if you've noticed it. Watch the camera work because the shadow of the man when he falls comes in from the angle, and they zoom in together when they hit the floor. It is, it is the most outrageous piece of camera work I think I've ever seen in a Bond film. It's unbelievable. It's very good. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Because that, obviously that's a, that's a, that's a weighted dummy as well. You know, you've got to be there. Yeah. They're not to just, if you'd had any old dummy, it would have maybe flailed about and, but you've got to, that's got to be weighted accordingly. So they've got to work on the basis that George Leach, maybe what, you know, nine stone, 10 stone, however much he would have weighed at the time, they'd have had to weight that accordingly. And then, you've got skis on so that's going to try and stabilize you part way down but there's no wire attached that's a free fall all the way down and to get the light just right so that when you when he does get close to the ground you start seeing the shadow come in hmm. yeah it's it, it's terrific it's very very well yeah, done it's brilliant. And how does scream all the way down on few eyes only the, is it a lock when he sort of comes when he's crashed on the thing and you just see the body flops out well, i don't yeah. how can that possibly be a dummy with the arm coming out i don't Again, it's a, it's a weighted dummy. It's nowadays, <laughs> nowadays there are there are the most extraordinary things. Would you? There's a guy who who produces weighted dummies who <laughs> who can be you know they can be dressed accordingly to look like the character. But how how heavy is the guy? Oh, he's uh, he's thirteen stone. No problem. Have Jake here, you know. <laughs> And they, this is a 13-stone dummy. So they've got them all weighted. So they will move accordingly. They're very important that they move and, and uh, they look a certain way, obviously, but they will move in a real way or, or, yeah. or the way that you would expect something that weight to move uh, in a vehicle of that nature. And it is very, you know, that rolls down and then boom, he flops out of the window. It's like, it's a perfect moment. But the Zorin one, that's a real stuntman, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, to a point, yeah. Bill does the first part. Yeah. Uh, Bill Weston does the first part, and then um, uh, Fat Boy Slim does the rest all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a sort of, I, I find his him and his right leg is quite interesting as well. His right leg, yeah, you know, it does sort of come up. A bit, you know. It does that floppy yeah. thing, you know. And you go, maybe, who knows? Maybe it would. You know, well, going down that, that pace. There's a lot of people have thrown themselves off there uh, off the San Francisco Bridge intentionally over the years, uh, sadly, to try and do it on film and, and capture it. Uh, then, you know, it's quite an interesting little thing. But, uh, yeah, they had to. It, it kind of picked up a little more pace towards the end and the legs came up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but bear in mind that that's technically the same sort of height that Bond fell off the train in Skyfall. And you go... Hmm. Okay. Well, this is another how time. Did, he, how did he survive? Oh, mermaids. That was it. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes into the title sequence, so it means he's fine. It means he's fine. You know, yeah. so you can you can forgive him for all of that. It's absolutely fine. We didn't get John on here to diss Daniel Craig. That's a coincidence. If if that happens at all. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, sure it's he loved die, uh, No Time to Die. I'm sure he did. There are a number of movies in Daniel Craig's tenure that I am a big, big fan of. Four, four, four of them, actually. I'm a huge fan of four of them. But there is one that that I have so many issues with, I can't tell you. Well, I probably will tell you a bit later <laughs> on. Um, and that's, but, that's um, the one that's just, just just come out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. okay. That's, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, really. <laughs> I 
even know where to start. <laughs> I genuinely don't know where to start. We'll um, get to Daniel Craig eventually. Yeah, we'll get to Daniel Craig eventually. I think we, we did touch a bit on diamonds, didn't we? With yeah. um, some of the lovely revolting muck that Blofeld and the stuntmen fall into. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to, but we've also. I, I think the f- most famous one that I could think of was the. It was real. The when he the piton gun on the side of the White House and the swing is that. How much of that is ha- high up, or is it exterior shots? Ah, well, there's the there's there's um there's two sequences. There is Connery. Connery rode the top of the elevator to a point. Yeah, um, and he is he is actually lit because the the camera starts off and then he pans back to see him riding up on the top of the elevator. Then there's a separate shot, which is a studio-based shot of a projection with the... So there's a, a projection on the floor and then you can see the uh, the uh, elevator lift that Connor is standing on in the studio. And then the swing is actually Bob Simmons firing the piton and swinging out again in the studio with a with a backdrop in the, in the back there. Yeah. So there's, there's a number of shots done for real, but majority of that uh, of that Las Vegas shoot was was the car chase, yeah, which, um, which was just you know handed over to the US team. Paul Baxley was the um, was the coordinator, and although a coordinator on the movie on the American side of the picture, you know a, a, a fine car coordinator and a, a man who was responsible for many terrific action uh, pictures and, and television shows over the year including the early parts or the early series of uh, the dukes of hazard uh, he was yeah. responsible for, for a great many of the coordinating on that but he hand he held over the the actual car chase stuff itself to a guy called Kerry lofton who is um regarded by many certainly at that period as the very best guy to to drive vehicles, coordinate vehicles. We talked about Spielberg earlier. What was his first big uh, the duel? There we are. That's the I had a mental block. Uh, Carrie Lofton is driving the truck. He's the truck driver in Jewel. And so to have had firstly the the strip closed down so that they could do this action was a major coup in the first place. But but also to do what they did on the strip and have as many stunt guys as they possibly could come in do a day's work by or a night's work in this instance by you're, you're driving this you're driving that i need you to pull out here pull out there a guy called uh, dick butler was was uh, driving the car for connery um in the street sequences and there's a couple of really terrific power slides sliding that uh, yeah. mustang around beautifully controlled bill hickman who was the guy who um uh, was in the chase car in Bullet uh, is driving one of the police cars and actually does the jump over the uh, does the jump over the parked cars in the Mustang uh, doubling Connery. But everybody, of course, remembers the, uh, the two wheel going through the alleyway on two wheels. You know? <laughs> I got you now. Lean over. And again, filmed in a number of ways, but filmed on the on the back lot at Universal Studios. And the stuntman is uh, Buzz Bundy, who at, at one time in America, if you ever saw a movie or a TV show that had a vehicle on two wheels, he would have been driving it. I mean, that was that was pretty much his major forte. And he had created a piece of kit called a pacifier. That's how we refer to it anyway. The window on the driver's side, remember left-hand drive vehicle, the windows were open. It had a quarter light at the front and that would have been missing and attached to that would have been an upright which when the car goes up he can then reach out of the window and grab onto and he's not going to fall that way he's not going to fall down the passenger on this occasion was his wife she was doubling uh, jill st john oh, right. um so you know we're going out for the night love uh, <laughs> take a quick drive down to vegas 
Do you mind just putting those clothes on? You'll look lovely and all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> I think that's it, why they wrote in all the wigs for Tiffany K. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> so it was a, a husband and wife do. So they drove in and you see the precision of him driving in and you see the wheels almost touching the upright wall as he's driving along. But it's absolutely inch perfect. And he was able to do that by using this here and just the slightest touch on the on the on the steering wheel, just keeping everything straight. So he drives in and they asked him to drive out and he wasn't able to do so because he was elsewhere at the time. They couldn't do it. He had to leave. They then brought in a French stunt team. Uh, the French held drivers were brought in. They asked them to drive out on the same set of wheels and uh, one guy managed to do it, but the crowds that were outside, they managed to get out and realize what was going on. You couldn't use the shot because there was too many members of the public in the background. So they got to this next guy and said, look, you know, can you do it? And his name was uh, Henri Gougain, and he drives out, but he drives out on the other set of wheels. Again, we go back to having a particular bias. American drivers, stunt drivers in particular, will always, if they can do it, have their driver's side up in the air. They have more control that way. They're controlling the wheels below, and they feel happier doing that majority of european stunt drivers if they're doing this type of gag like to have the ground near them and the wheels up so they are they're, they're driving down because it's a right-hand drive vehicle or you know that type of thing if it's a left-hand drive vehicle they want the left-hand side down and that's what's happened here so he's simpler he's happier doing it that way he lands the vehicle and drives off there's nobody in the street and only when they get into the edit do they go um, we've got a slight <laughs> problem here, um, which Guy Hamilton then says, there's no problem. We just flip the film in the middle of it. Oh, cool. So that's what they do. And giving the impression that the car has then had to do the same thing again the other way. Yeah. And they've got it away with it. But um, for years, it has caused all sorts of issues. There's a lot of people get very angry about it. You know, they do get very angry. And I, I just think that it's, it's fabulous that you've got two sets of stunt people driving in and then driving out. I also think it's a terrific trick that Guy Hamilton used. It's such a sort of simple. Yeah, but is, just yeah. by just turning the camera, your eyes go with it. Yep. And then you naturally see it coming the way. And I saw that film loads of times before I before and I, I wouldn't I don't think I ever get yeah. it myself. No. I think I read it somewhere or someone told me and then and obviously forevermore you notice it. But it's just such a simple, clever trick to to save what was obviously a, a major problem they had at the time. Yeah. You don't question it. You just you you go with it. And and I think that's that was one of his reasons for, for getting it done really was just saying right we'll do this and there's a couple of great moments in that so that's the big for me that's the great moment in yeah. that picture i think that's sensational i would also uh want to to say you know patty elder did a fabulous job uh, oh doubling, yes doubling for uh, uh for uh, <laughs> i've got friends in this town <laughs> plenty uh who uh who was thrown out of the window now and again another terrific story on the basis of that but as with all of these things you know she has to be in the briefest of briefs and be topless <laughs> now she was aware of this and said okay i'll do it but and there has to be a thing here nine times this is we're 1971 right and you are or 1970 you are looking at people a technician point of view whereas nine times out of ten when uh, a, a beautiful woman takes their clothes off they're going to make themselves available to be on set you know because that's just what you did back then uh, it's different now but then she had to say look this is a second unit shot this was not a first unit shot so she had to then say you know can i 
get, just get some privacy, please, if I may. I don't want to. I don't want anybody there by the pool. I just want to be able to do the thing, swim to the end, get a towel on, and we're done. And they said, "Yep, that's no problem at all." So they cleared everybody away, and they made sure that she was on her own. She did the high part of the fall, which was probably forty feet, forty-five feet, maybe. And it's a seat drop. Uh, it's a saddle drop. She has to drop. She's not going in feet first. She's going in sort of backside first as she hits the water. It's quite tricky, from particularly from that height, and also if the fact that you're wearing bugger all, you know, you're going to hit. You're going to hit the. You try and put your hands down to maybe disperse that impact but nevertheless she does it and she swims to the edge and she gets this huge round of applause and she goes jesus where that she turns around and everybody in the hotel you know they've all got the yay they've all got the windows <laughs> open and they're, they're going yeah sensational you know she goes oh, jesus she can't do anything around here. <laughs> so uh so she should certainly get uh, uh get a big thank you i think and also uh, a, a couple of other points if i may uh bond diving off the um off the oil oh, yeah. Yeah, um, lovely dive. It's a lovely moment. You realise when you find out the guy it was performed by a guy called Orwin Harvey, who was a world champion cliff diver. That was, I think it was, he did it. It was about 90 feet, I think. But he had done 150 feet plus at one time into water uh, in Acapulco. He was an Acap- he was a, a um, Acapulco cliff diving world champion for many, many years uh, through the early part of his career, through um, through the early 60s. He keeps the most beautiful shape all the way down, oh, yeah. hits the water. It's fantastic. Huge cojones that boy has there. The only problem I have really is with the um, Bambi and Thumper fight. That's because of the nature of the fight itself i don't have a problem with at all trina parks trina parks has said on a number of occasions that she's you know she did all of it she did very little of it she's done bits of it but not all of it the other issue is with the stunt coordinator i know yeah i know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was i heard it and i'm going oh trina really um <laughs> you know there are issues in connection with the fact that there were a handful of black stunt women available at that time and because there was a handful, they were busy. They were working on TV, movies like I Spy, for instance, TV shows like I Spy, that type of stuff, which had Mod Squad, you know, which had regular black cast members in it. And they were they were required, and they were busy, busy the whole time. This was just be- on the cusp of the uh, the black exploitation pictures that came out within sort of seventy two, seventy three period. And so they were very busy, and there was only a bunch of them. However, I'm not, in- uh, and, and from reading um, what I know. You know, I'd like to think that they were contacted first to say, we've got a job on a Bond movie. Can you come and double an actress? My understanding is that that was never the option, unfortunately. So consequently, what happened over the years was that Bambi is uh, Lola Larson, is the actress Lola Larson. And she was often miscredited as Donna Garrett. I'd noticed on a couple of occasions, well, Donna Garrett is a stunt person. So Donna Garrett, uh, she's also a very fine gymnast, she doubles Trina doing the flick flacks round the room, the somersaults round the room, and then she stops and says, over to you're on again, Bambi, or something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so she does that part. So that's her going round the room. And then Trina had said she wasn't terribly good at diving. So I, uh, she swam, but she wasn't very good at diving. Okay. But I'd never really noticed until I, I looked at a, was it a 4K version or a, Blue K, a Blu-ray version of Diamonds? It's very clearly Donna Garrett, again, in blackface, diving off the top into the wow. water, which is for, for then and for the amount of girls that were available. And subsequently, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who said, well, nobody called me. I was available, you know. Yeah. And there were many, many members of the um, the early 
uh, transition of the Black, Black Stuntman's Association because sadly, because of the situation uh, with reference to racial prejudice and all that sort of stuff, they weren't, for whatever reason, allowed to be in the Stuntman's Association. They had to create their own. So you had guys like uh, Eddie Smith, for instance, you know, who, who was the spokesperson for the Black Stuntman's Association, who was trying to get work and get people in and, and uh, finding new people who were very good at doing what they were able to do. And, uh, and say, you'd be great in movies. We need you. You know, you're very agile. You're a great gymnast. You, you drive cars, you drive motorbikes, all that sort of very good. So that was the situation. But for that particular gag that the whole routine they uh, they went and and used um used donna donna garrett on that occasion so yeah it's just it bothers me slightly but you know that was, that was <laughs> 1971 what can i, I tell you noticed. now there's all these things you see i'm going to start noticing i know yeah that's the problem you know you start the these things and you go before. never noticed it before and then you look at it and go then you never you can't not see it anymore <laughs> oh, no. is the problem that's it for part one of our look into the best stunts of the James Bond franchise. But join us for part two, where we go from Live and Let Die to Fewer Eyes Open. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.